Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and it's midweek motorsport just after eight o'clock on a wednesday night good to have your company and we're on series 15 episode 36 tim gray is our executive producer up in london and on a packed show tonight tim we have what uh we have all the usual features john including uh news we'll be looking back at uh cars and bikes from the weekend just gone with nick damon uh and trey adam will be joining us as well uh, we will be doing some further analysis. We've already done some in our uh, special IMSA radio show an hour ago on the State of the Series address by John Doonan. We'll be doing a little bit more of that in the second hour of the show. We have two wonderful guests, uh, one of whom uh, is uh, Jade Edwards, who has been announced today as uh, joining the British Touring Car Championship at the end of the month. The first female driver uh, in that championship for. 13 years uh, and yep, the other that. will be talking about uh, Williams because Hall of Famer we have uh, let's just say the Williams story has advanced quite a lot since we spoke to you this time last week true enough true enough and Bradshaw joins us in the big interview spot she's in Italy at the moment for uh, the Michello Tuscan Grand Prix as it's called uh, and She's been involved with Williams for a very uh, long time down through the years. And as I said, she is in the F1 Hall of Fame. Uh, Anne Bradshaw with us just after nine o'clock. Shall I do a few parish notices? Yes, do. Okay. Um, If I can find where I put them. Somebody's filed them away. Let me have a look here. There we are. Uh, Listening live, says Miles Cook. He said uh, not... uh, on the podcast, uh, some F1 news to check all out. Very good, I see what you did there. Ian McCarthy, no airfares for an incredible third week. Ordered pizza for the show, it arrived early, and I'm here panicked. Um, there's, I think, that looks like two or three small pieces there. Definitely not waiting for the podcast this week, says James. Uh, and the Andy, uh, Angry Pothole saying, Home Alone listening for the first time in a while. Uh, live, adult beverages, will there be a safety car rant? I uh, don't think so. Should there be a safety car rant? don't think so. Uh, listening uh, live and looking forward to RC Racing taking on a not-too-ghastly F1 race. That was still, it was two boring F1 races instead of one, one this weekend. That's all. No overtaking. Still no overtaking, even with effectively a reverse grid. That failed miserably, didn't it? Chris Suku, good evening. No FAs. Uh, preparation of the big event have been pounding round laps at Lasarth. In a Vision LMP Mazda, 3 minutes 35. 
15 seconds slower than they'll be going next week. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and hello to Right Turn Lover, to Serafina Chu, to Rob Chalmers, trying to work out the fueling regulations for Le Mans. Just don't bother. Don't bother. Just see how it works out and see how many people get disqualified. That's the only way you can do it. Brody's uh, got a weekend's work to catch. Sorry, a weekend at work means he's got to catch up with the WeatherTech race coverage from the weekend, so he's going to be listening. Uh, hello, Brody. Hope you're well. And uh, keep up the good work there, sir. Der Sebastian, Neil Gardner, EFAs, unless he's got 4G on this there, Norfolk, North Norfolk Cliff. Don't know if he's listening or not. Neil, if you're not listening, enjoy the podcast. If you are listening, well done for finding the 4G. Uh, hello to... Sarah, of course, listening in tonight up with crew. Michael Denny, first time in ages listening. Been a busy summer. Dave Alcock, thank you for the IMSA Radio Weekend. Fantastic stuff. Was, wasn't it? Wasn't. Wasn't it? Motor Racing UK listening tonight, starting a radio, audio and podcast master's degree at Sunderland Uni next week. I have a feeling RSL will be my will be referenced a lot in my research over the next week. Oh, I wouldn't bother. Mick. We're not very good. No, but we're very we're very popular though. We're pro- very popular, popular and we're prolific. So yeah, yeah. Quick quick airfare from Eric Offerdal, uh, uh, Chris Suku tonight. Scott Buse listening in for the first time because it's almost Le Mans week. Got to start getting excited. And on that, we'll have our first countdown to Le Mans program after midweek motorsports tonight. Johnny Palmer and Shea Adam. Shea will stay on. Johnny Palmer will join me as we are looking at the pro classes. We're doing it slightly differently this year. So it'll be GTE Pro and LMP1. Uh, hello to Johannes, to Colin Mullen. Just watched the State of the Sport. Lots of takeaways. Chilling in live for a couple of consecutive weeks. Uh, James Counter listening for the first time in a long time. And Matt Hawkey Hawkins says, I'm listening before I go off to work. Once again for the night shift. At Specutainment, if you want to speak to us and on the Twitter, that is. And don't forget that Countdown to Le Mans show for Haggerty RLM after midweek motorsport tonight. But here's Tim. Shuffle the papers, play the jingle. Here's the top story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. And I'd like to introduce our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, listeners. Nick's a bit quiet. Uh, no, he's fine. Uh, I know. Wh- I know why he's quiet. Yes, because we're going to start with Formula One. Hooray! And it was a hooray, a marvellous. Oh gosh, everything's right in the world again. Because Formula One's mu- because it was a fabulous race of fabulousness. No, it wasn't. What, just Nick, be- it was two very, very tedious races. The first one no. slightly less uh, tedious no, than no, the second. No, 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 no. I no, agree no, with you, no, Tim. No, no, no. What? Right. The first part. I wasn't actually going to talk about the race at this point, but carry the first on. part. Of the, well, well, I think the first part of the race was um, predictable, interesting, but standard. Mm-hmm. There were interesting parts to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. The second part of the race was edge of your seat stuff. It was great. There was no passing, Nick. From when the ruled off hang the on, grid, hang on, hang there, on, there, hang there on. was no John. danger of passing either. Really, stop, stop. No, but you are just i'm sorry you've obviously john you've been working in america too long and taken the concept of basketball where scoring points the whole time is great or nascar where lead changes for six months mate well i know but I, you know what i mean it but we're sorry we're football fans we like occasional excitement and huge excitement happens so yes there was, there was plenty no of jeopardy, we're cricket mate. fans nick 
There's no, no, there was no them. jeopardy. The only the only thing that happened was that because Kimmy didn't have any tyres left, he dropped down. Right. Uh, the, the interest for me was how far Hamilton was going to get up the grid. That was that was some interest, and how bad the Mercedes was in traffic. But but you could tell from the. But the front from of the, the start, at what point, uh, where he was going to finish, roughly sixth or seventh, and that's yeah, pretty much agreed. where he did finish. Seventh, yeah, he did. Well, so uh, hang on a second. So, do you think Valtteri Bottas would have finished seventh from that position? No, but Valtteri had a bug, not with his broken car. No. All right. Explain to me exactly how his car was broken when the team said they couldn't find anything wrong with it. His head was broken. His car was fine. Well, and the Mercedes doesn't work in traffic, quite clearly. Yeah, well, it works. Why would Lewis? Uh, it were Lewis is a better driver. Oh, thank you. There we go. And he's probably uh, got a better car. No, he hasn't. He's got the same car. Well, but that doesn't matter. You, you're agreeing with me now. No, I'm not. Because no, I thought, that was, I, thought just... half the race, I thought the second half of the race was um, the definition of thrilling. It was a complete mixed match. You had no idea what was going to happen. You had no idea who was who was going to win. You had no, you, you know, yeah, yeah. There's not well, a huge amount of overtaking. We knew that again. Gasly would win unless he threw it off. Well, Certainly, once well, Lance Stroll had. Uh, Outbreaked himself at the second chicane. Not Joel Schmolf. You know, Carlos Sainz was in four tenths of him by the end. Anyway, um, anyway yeah, we're obviously not going to agree on this, but I personally, I don't, I, I this do serves agree. us two in the team by team later on, so we've got more time to talk about him. So. I, I, fair enough. I do agree, though, that it, it is not an advert for reverse grids. No, no, no I agree um, with that as well. I think it, it knocks it, reverse grids on the head, doesn't it? You can't do reverse grids until you get cars which are easier to pass, and that isn't, going to, and that's only theoretically going to happen in 22, and we we remain to be seen. Uh, Can I ask a, a serious question? Um, I, and, and, I'm, I I have a, a view on this. Um, do you, about changing tyres in the pit lane when you're under a red flag. It's clearly it's not park fermi, is it? It's not no. anywhere near park fermi. So you can do anything to the car. You can fix it. You can change the wing. You can change the tyres. The driver yeah. can get out and have a wander around and change his race suit, go and talk yeah, to the... The thing is, the, thing is, the, the, the rule is that you, in a tr- fully dry race, you must use two compounds. It's not, the rule is not you must use both compounds. You can use all three if you wanted to. You must use two compounds. At no point it says you have to change the tyres in the pits. It's just the most convenient and fastest place to do it. If they wanted, they could park out on the track and get an RAC van to change the uh, tyres. I'm, I'm pretty sure they couldn't, actually. Well, you know what I mean? But that's that's the, the rules are nothing. It doesn't say it's not, you know, there are no rules. You've got, you have to make a pit stop. The rules are you have to use both tyres. And the best way of doing that is by making a pit stop. No, no, but that's that wasn't the question I asked, Nick. The question I asked is... Um, it, it is clearly under red flag. It is not park firm here. Yes, exactly. Red flag. Okay. You, you can. You can. I think the only thing you can't do on red. Well, you but can't they, they weren't park. allowed to park in that pits, though. Bizarrely, they yeah, had to just park up in the fast lane. You can't yes. put any more fuel in it, um, and you can't. Um, well, you can't put any fluids into an F1 car during a race, yeah, as we know. No, but, but you can. You can. You can repair like for like uh, under the agreement of the, F, of the FIA. So I think one of the things that Mercedes were trying to do was, was, was replace an event with another event that let more air in. They weren't allowed to. I think they were. I think they did no. that, didn't they? They were asked, they asked if they could do that and they were given the, the tick on that. Certainly on Lewis's car. I think the FIA official came along and uh, shook his head and they no. took the part away. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. It would have been far more interesting if they'd had it as Park Fermi and everybody had had to restart with the car that they'd finished the first part of the race with. But then you'd have had that, people all, saying, all oh, but I've got a slow puncture, I need to change my tyres. All that would happen there is Lance Stroll would be involved. 
And because don't forget, they had all, all just changed their tyres because, of course, this was the second safety car. Yeah. Because the first safety car, which was caused by the, the, the mistake by Magnussen, this was the second safety car, in fact, red flag, caused by the crash that Leclerc had two laps after. And what would have been really interesting if Leclerc hadn't crashed, because that would have given Lewis 10 laps at the front before they could finally get around to make a decision about the, uh, the uh, drive-through. So who knows where we'd ended up. Do you want to talk about uh, Stewart's decision uh, number? Oh, no, we'll do that later. Much. We'll, okay. do, we'll do that later. The actual only bit of F1 news news, which is what was supposed to be out until Nick went off on his tangent, is... You started? No, you started. You started talking about it. You said it was dull. Um, I hope you're not going to preempt a story that we're not going to do now. Well, what, the only bit of Formula 1 news is driver news. That's no, the only bit of interesting not. Formula 1 news. Oh, okay. I, so I, what I want bit of Formula start, 1 news are you going to do? Well, first of all, as Nick's already opened the race... Uh, can of worms. We haven't got time to do the race can of worms now. As Nick's do already we? started this, I'm not going to come back right. to it, so I'm going to finish All it. Right. Uh, what were the odds on those three drivers finishing in that order? 133,000 to one, wasn't it? It was 133,000 to one, and someone in Finland put 20 cents on that. And won 30,000 euros, didn't they? 33,398 euros. Yeah, it wasn't me, by the way. Also, it was someone in you, Finland, and they're known to drink quite Finland. a lot. So yeah, quite happened. Yeah, I think it was obviously a couple of vodkas. And, oh, let's go for that one. So, someone in Finland didn't bet on either Bottas or uh, Raikkonen. Raikkonen, no, because they they may be Finnish and they may be drunk, but they still know where it's a bad bet. Uh, what did some uh, punter in Australia do? Oh, I don't know this one. Tell me. He put seventy thousand five hundred fifty Australian dollars. On to Lewis hmm. Hamilton to win. Oh dear! <laughs> At five to four on. Yes. Uh, well, yes. there we go. That just goes to show, you know, even a safe bet isn't always a safe bet. Now, what you're you probably doing is you'll try and chase it and put one hundred and fifty dollars thousand on for next week, and then you know, spiral into a into a, a never ending. I mean, the re- we all know the reason why Lewis didn't win anyway. Go on. Because when he came in after getting pole position, they put the wrong graphic up saying he won the race. That is true, yes. There was a big, there was a big, big, big you know, TV screen. I go in the 90s. I go, that's not right. And they put the wrong one up. So in a good old-fashioned British jinx, that was. The story I wanted to start with is, and yep. the reason I wanted to start with it was because it's kind of inconsequential, and we just need to we need to mention it, but we don't need to talk about it in great detail. And that is that Ferrari have announced that they have dropped their appeal. Uh, into the um, Racing Point. And Racing Point have dropped their appeal against their penalty as well. Mm. So everyone, after, what was it about, I think everyone, it was eight of the, certainly seven of the teams were moment, had an appeal at some point, either positive or negative. And it's now, it's now stopped. It's all gone away. Um, basically, um, the they'll carry on running with the Ducks uh, for the rest of the year, get your reprimand each time and all this Racing Point. Um, but enough it can't happen again anyway because it's a one-off because of the way the, the rules change between 19 and 20 and ferrari and some of the others have been lobbying for um further action to prevent um copycat cars so that's been written in the rules or has been agreed in the agreement that you can't have a copycat car again and there is also an ongoing discussion which you kind of guess is probably going to go more towards ferrari's way about next year's cars now next year's cars you know we need to be 
significantly similar to this year's cars. Um, mm. There are some mandated changes from the FIA, which include downforce reducing, but a lot of that actually is just they're going to fill it. You know, all the, in the in the the the, the, um, the floor of the car now they've got all slots and strakes and everything else. I mean, it used to be just a bit just flat, but now it's got all kind of. They're, they're basically they're, they're going to take away most of the freedom in that area, so they're just going to try and reduce some downforce by making things which are relatively inexpensive to do. Um, and that, but but major mechanical change you're back to the token system from a few years ago and for example it's going to cost uh, mclaren most of their tokens because they're changing engines other people can change other bits and bobs now because of the way the rules work with buying in parts from other cars which you are allowed to do a non-listed part you can buy in um basically i think it was is it, i think alpha tauri and racing point were going to get a free rear suspension upgrade because effectively they would buy in the previous year's design from from Mercedes and Red Bull, respectively. So they would effectively get a, a bigger a bigger rear end upgrade without having to pay any tokens. And Ferrari weren't very happy about that because it's way two different rules were overlapping. And it's thought that it hasn't been announced yet, but thought that some sort of agreement has been come to that, that they'll have to pay some sort of tokens to get these new rear ends on, which is specifically both both teams, both of the the, the the parent teams. And I realise obviously it's a commercial relationship with with Racing Point Aston Martin, uh, as it will be. Um, uh, you know, both both the parent teams have made significant movements in that rear suspension area this year, uh, aerodynamically, especially for um, Mercedes. So, you know, people go, well, oh, racing point, we're getting another advantage in their copycat car. So that's that's the kind of the two elements. But obviously, there's been a lot of conversations in the past. And don't forget that since we had the initial kerfuffle, you know, we've had a new Concord agreement, we've had teams changing names, we've had all sorts of things happening. And, and I think people are trying to get are trying to at least get on a bit more on the surface now i think it's a bit more of a swan act from uh, from f1 everyone's smiling on the surface and the legs going like heck with complaints beneath uh, what's going to be different about the ferrari at the uh, very next race it's going to be burgundy isn't it it's a much much deeper red the same color as the first one because is there a thousandth race and they're going to have it the same color as the type was it 150 or 152 i can't remember what it was Whatever is it the their thousandth the race part. probably not no because they, they didn't. They, I think it's 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 it depends. I think it's the thousands race where the team entered by Enzo Ferrari in all its generations have competed, but two more the Ferrari the Ferraris competed in two other races. I think under Nart, one of them, uh, when when Enzo was having a bit of a, a bit of a spat with the FIA or, or whoever, whatever they were at the time, um, and he and he kind of took his toys away. But Ferrari still entered under a different name. So I think it's the thousand two officially. Uh, well, by one uh, set of rules, it's 1,002. By another way of counting, it's only 998. Uh, but let's meet in the middle and call it 1,000. Uh, it was the 125S, by the way, uh, that you were thinking of, not the 150. Um, but do you like the livery? Yeah, it's very nice. It's easy. I mean, I think, I think it's one of those times where it probably would have helped if they'd actually stripped off the sponsor logos, which I know is not financially possible to do. But it would have looked a bit better if they just just gone with it as it would have been in the 1950s. No, no logos. You know, perhaps just that thousand on the rear wing and the, and the, and the deep burgundy. I, you know, bit, bit, I realise that's not practical financially, but I think that would have made a, a bit of a more of a splash, to be honest. Uh, what's Sergio Perez been saying this evening? They don't love me anymore. 
Uh, yeah, I've, been, said, I've been forsaken. Everything in life always has a beginning and an end, and after seven years together, my time with the team will come to an end after this season. It hurts a bit as I bet on the team during very rough times. We managed to overcome obstacles, and I'm very proud of saving the jobs of several of my teammates. I'll keep the memories of the great moments lived together, the friendships and the satisfaction of always giving my all. I don't have a plan B. Yeah. My intention is to continue racing here, but that would depend on finding a project that motivates me to continue giving 100% in each lap. Yeah, it's basically, I'm really, really, really upset. I'll throw in a slightly bitter second paragraph and then pretend everything's okay. Uh, yeah, so this is this kind of um, guarantees what we've, we've thought all along for the last few weeks is that Sebastian Vettel will come to um, Racing Point because there's no other reason why you get rid of Perez. There's no there's no better option in the marketplace. You know, Nico Hülkenberg is as good, but Nico Hülkenberg needs to be paid, and Perez was bringing money. I mean, not indirectly, he's getting paid himself, but obviously it's a, a cut of what Carlos Slim was giving. So it's financially, um, yeah, it's financially an interesting situation with them, isn't it, really? That, that, they've, 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 that, that Perez has gone, taken his money with him, so the only way they can be going is, is, is to pick up Sebastian. So hopefully Fettel, you know, is just sitting this year going, it's not my fault, and almost recharging his batteries whilst he's driving an absolutely terrible car. But, you know, because I actually think the car is now so bad, it's actually not doing his reputation any harm anymore. Yes, could be right there. Uh, what are Perez's options in Formula 1? Uh, well, there is an option at Alfa Romeo. There is an option at Haas. Um, they haven't declared their cars. There's, there's, a, there's still theoretically a seat at Red Bull. Um, I don't think it's Alfa Tauri. So, you know, there's, there's there's a few options there, but they are, given the fact that Racing Point is on an upswing, they are all a level below. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about car, but maybe that the, they want to put the money into an IndyCar attack. I don't know. I think Perez, is, Perez obviously is unfinished. He has unfinished business with F1. He was he was unlucky in that his big break came too early mm. in uh, 2013 at McLaren, when he, and also at the wrong team. McLaren were not the team, either as a team generally at that point, or more in the or particular a team place that you want in to there. make your debut at with. Exactly. You, know, you only have to look what happened to Kevin Magnussen and Stoffel Van Dorn and see how well that goes. Um, but yeah, they were, and also they were on the way. They were on the on the slow slide down. There was a huge amount of internal drive, and he got kind of hung out to dry. Um, so yeah, and up against Jensen Button, so it was it was, a, it was hiding for nothing. So if he perhaps got a chance, you know, two or three years later with with the Ferrari drive or something else, things may have been better for him. Yeah, he's basically, you know, he's a, he's a very very good driver for this era because he, you know, he's very very good at managing his tyres. I think I think I think he tends to always perform well. Um, I don't think he ever really performs exceptionally. He doesn't have that kind of extra gear, but he's a great solid point score and I'm sure if Hassel or Alfa who convinced him to join they'd be falling over themselves one thing that uh, I have picked up on which I don't think a lot of other people have is Haas saying that they are intending to keep the same drivers between 2021 and 2022 which suggests that they are going to change both drivers at the end of this season it would make a huge amount of sense and I'm almost certainly one of them will be Hulkenberg, but perhaps it'll be a Hulkenberg-Paris reunion after those few years ago at uh, Racing Point. Uh, we'll come back to Formula One in the second hour of the programme. We'll be talking to Anne Bradshaw uh, about Williams, uh, which uh, has been a, a bit of a change even since last week with uh, new management coming in and uh, a very teary goodbye from Claire Williams at the weekend uh, but before that we're going to move on to World Superbikes uh, and a bit of Deja Vu Nick 
Deja, well, I mean, it was uh, it was interesting because three races, um, none of them, all won by different drivers, riders, sorry, riders. Michael, the driver riders, different riders, yeah. Um, uh, maiden win for Michael Rubin Rinaldi on the Ducati, and then the first time that Johnny Ray hadn't won the sprint race when Scott Redding won that one after, of course, he fell off in the first race, and then in the third race, Johnny Ray won it again. So it was, um, the net effect was that, uh, Johnny Ray extended his lead, uh, and, my, and Michael Rubin Rinaldi announced, um, "Look at me, I'm really rather good." And if he does that again, because um, obviously, obviously he's on the satellite Ducati, there's a very good chance that Chas Davis will be looking over his shoulder as far as a, a ride is concerned. Um, yeah, second, obviously the second week at Aragon, so everyone was a little more dialed in. It was interesting that Scott Redding was still searching for a rear tire that he liked, and so much so that he went. Have we lost Nick? I'm still here. Oh, you're still there. You just faded away after searching for a rear tyre. Oh, well, and Johnny Ray played the percentage and got the most points and a win. And we are only, I think, I think we only have four rounds left. So he's now in the lead by, I think, 29 points. I haven't got it up in front of me. It's something like that. And, yeah, it's looking pretty good. But, again, it's it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Scott really... You know, he blinked first by falling off in race one, and that's the first kind of mistake either of them has made of, of, of significance, and it's it's really skewed the championship. So as long as Johnny can stay on board, um, you know, and of course Johnny had that, he was catching up from that bit off in the first race of the season. As long as Johnny can stay on board for the next race, it's going to be very, very hard for Scott to overhaul him, especially because they're going to tracks that Scott doesn't know. Uh, where are they next? I really wish you hadn't asked me that. Uh, I'm going to say Manny Cork. I know it's coming up, but I think it's Barcelona, isn't it? Uh, what I was asking Barcelona. you because I didn't it's know Barcelona. Barcelona. No, it is. I remember now. It's Barcelona, yeah. Or Catalonia. Or what they, Montmello, what they call it. They, they change the name every couple of weeks because they're trying to have multiple races there. <laughs> of course. Uh, although they... Uh, did they call Aragon Aragon twice? No, they no, called they... it um, whatever the region of Aragon is. I really wish I, wish I had the WSB website up now to, to fill in these little blanks I keep finding in my head. Well, let's move on to British Superbikes because this is... Uh, becoming very unpredictable this year you think ah this this rider has uh, suddenly got a string of form together and then they don't anymore and someone else wins often for the first time ever and you think what is going on in this championship Uh, so three races at Silverstone for the British Superbikes at the weekend and the two on Sunday were both won by Kyle Ride, who is from Mansfield in Nottinghamshire. Uh, I, can I just say now, this is going to ruin my uh, my street cred. Up until you said that, I've never heard of Kyle Ride. Is he like a first year in the Superbikes, always been hiding somewhere else? Uh, I think he did some races last year, but this is uh, this is probably the start of this season was the first time I became really aware of him. Mm. Um. But he is on uh, a Suzuki. He got his debut victory in the first race today. He got another win at the second. Uh, and the Saturday race was won by uh, one of the McCamish Yamahas. Now, was it Jason O'Halloran or was it the other yes, one? Yes, I think so. It was Jason O'Halloran. That's right, yes. Christian Eden didn't win. Um, did you see qualifying? I don't think you did, did you? No, I didn't, no. There was a really bizarre incident which caused it to be red flagged and not restarted, where about six bikes all came off at cops. Someone dropped some liquid? I suspect so. It wasn't really cleared up uh, at all. Well, we don't clear it up. More people are going to fall <laughs> off if you don't clear it up. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but 
um, people like Danny Buchan and uh, Taz McKenzie both involved in that. Um, so the championship standings now have Glenn Irwin, who I think has only won one race, leading the championship by 35 points from Josh Brooks, who I think has won two. Tommy Bridewell is third. He had a terrible weekend, um, technical problems with the bike all weekend. Uh, Carl Ride's two wins put him up to fourth. Jason O'Halloran is just a point behind in fifth. And Christian Iden, who hasn't won yet this season, is sixth. Yeah. Now, earlier on uh, this evening, uh, uh, it was the state of the sport address from IMSA President was, John yes. Doonan. And John, I believe you have John on the phone right now. From Florida, with uh, a bit of luck, I should be able to say hello to John Doonan, uh, who is down in Daytona. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing well, John. The only problem is I miss you guys uh, dearly from being at the racetrack. Well, <laughs> you you know that uh, that is very much reciprocated. Nice job today. A uh, lot of positivity. Looking forward, giving us, as Shea said when we took it live, giving us something to look forward to. We'll get to some of the details of the schedule, etc. at the moment, but there'll be a lot of things that people are trying to digest there. Not least, some changes to the sporting side of things with, uh, in particular, the top championship, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, adding LMP3. What's the thinking there, John? Well, as everybody who listens to you, who's watched our races, who's uh, been been to the events, knows um, 2020 has been, uh, without question, uh, the most interesting year any of us have experienced. Uh, tragic in, in so many ways, but also an opportunity to step back and reflect a little bit about the championship, um, looking forward to uh, trends of, of you know, field size, looking at what's coming relative to uh, LMDH. And so uh, an opportunity and, and a lot of interest, frankly, from uh, current stakeholders about the LMP3 platform, which you know, the ACO is to be commended on for what they've done there, and a lot of interest in uh, what we have right now with the IMSA prototype challenge, but an opportunity for some of the customers that wish to run in um, in the top category uh, events and in, in front of the biggest spotlights in, in all of sports car racing. So uh, we see it as an opportunity. Uh, obviously, the Evo car has been part of what uh, has been done in the European Le Mans series. And we think in the right manner, uh, with the right group of drivers and the right group of teams, uh, we have a terrific opportunity to uh, allow some folks to uh, enter the WeatherTech Championship uh, make their personal and professional dreams come true. And it, it certainly can also be a springboard for that next generation of talent. Uh, that, that platform certainly allows uh, the next generation to experience a downforce car mm -hmm. and hopefully uh, springboard their career uh, into the upper levels of, of uh, WeatherTech. But you're keeping the IMSA prototype challenge as well uh, for – uh, not just the current cars, the Gen 1 cars, let's let's call them for, for, 
for a, a want of a better terminology. But there's going to be a class for the new cars as well. Now, I, I, I understand that gives choice. And, and you and I have talked about choice before in terms of an endurance championship, a sprint championship or a full yeah. championship. Is that the same sort of thought process that you have there that some people might not want to be in the big show in the longer races? And, and that has cost implications as well. So the prototype challenge will exist for them. Absolutely. And we have a very nice foundation of customers that currently compete in prototype challenge. That's customer teams and the, the drivers that, that uh, enroll with them for, for a championship season in prototype challenge. The last thing we want to do, especially coming out of the pandemic, is force people into capital purchases on new cars uh, to, to compete in the same championship. So in the spirit of sustainable and, and, uh, and, and stability, the goal was let's keep prototype challenge as we know it. Let's allow people to use their current equipment should they choose so. If they want to move up to the Evo car, we certainly welcome that in prototype challenge in the shorter race format. And then, of course, uh, as you mentioned earlier, an opportunity for those that do have um, aspirations uh, to run in WeatherTech. We've now got a platform there. And the colleagues uh, that I have here at IMSA, we're going to look at the teams and look at the driver lineups and make sure uh, we retain the same exciting quality racing that we have in WeatherTech today. I'm going to play devil's advocate a bit here, John, if you don't mind, if you hadn't realised, by the way, this is John Doon and president of, <laughs> of, of IMSA. There will be people that say, hang on. In WeatherTech, you've got four championships. You've got four championships on the go at the moment in terms of classes, and then you've got those additional championships. You're adding a fifth class here. I mean, is it not complicated enough? Uh, sports car and endurance fans will probably say no, it's not a problem. But you can understand there will be people who will will say that. You're right, um, and I think given the right positioning here, DPI is still uh, the top category. Um, we're committed, thanks to the partnerships that um, IMSA and the ACO have with the four chassis constructors that make up the LMP2 category, uh, the folks at Delara, the folks at Ligier, Multimatic, and Orica, fantastic organizations that are the foundation of LMP2 and the foundation of DPI. Yeah. And as you know, the foundation of LMDH going forward. So those two classes certainly speak for themselves, and the competition has been rich and heavy in both of those. Uh, so we want to keep that. I think the opportunity uh, to bring LMP3 in is a simple complement to uh, the prototype category. It's a, um, again, a, a launch pad, if you will, or, or a pipe. Uh, of the next group of talent. And the teams that have expressed interest um, certainly have uh, that mixture of young talent that sees a future for their career in sports car racing. They see the price point of LMP3 as an entry. Um, and certainly we hope uh, the number of teams uh, comes in, in big numbers to allow us to, to add that um, and make uh, the racing uh, even more exciting for the fan base. Uh, there's no question GT uh, has produced some of the most incredible competition that we have seen in, in recent races. Uh, you know, the battles at VIR and, and, and in recent weeks and, and what we saw over the weekend, you got all those different platforms. So we see it as a compliment. Um, I know 
uh, there'll be folks that have questions and, and concerns about it. But mm-hmm. uh, I think the majority of folks that have reached out um, are very keen to, to see. Uh, what this brings and and what additional excitement it brings to the series. On a practical level, you've given your already brilliant technical team yet another headache, Mr. Doonan, because you've got to now fit in an LMP3 car into the performance of of the classes that already exist. Now, I know you'll have looked at that. So do you envisage that LMP3's been a little bit quicker than the GT Le Mans cars or a little bit slower? Well, I think, um, again, credit to the ACO and, and the efforts that they've put into making the uh, LMP3 platform um, uh, affordable. And with the new upgrades to the Evo cars in LMP3, from what we've seen in the European Le Mans series, I think we have an opportunity to slot them in right behind LMP2 cars um, and in front of the GTLM field. Um, so uh, time will tell, right. but that's that's kind of where we see that uh, slotting in. And um, once we get on the racetrack and, and see everybody together, uh, we'll certainly visualize that for ourselves and, and also look at all the data that comes in. But, you know, we had the Michelin Encore last year at Sebring. I thought we had a nice uh, mixture of yep. GT3 or GTD spec cars plus the LMP3 cars out there with a nice – a class separation that should allow everybody to have a exciting race uh, and even working through the through the traffic. Now you you're going to have to buy Jeremy Shaw a calculator because you've changed the points here and times them by ten. And Jeremy's good with his piece pencil and his piece of paper at the end of the the lap uh, at the end of the races. Again, what's the thinking? What's the raison d'être? behind uh, uh, seeing 350 points for a win, 320 for second, 300 for third, rather than 35, 32, 30, as it has been? Well, I've stood behind Mr. Shaw and seen that (laughs) clipboard, and I know uh, what kind of detail goes into it. Um, As we've added qualifying points, we wanted to be smart with the, the gaps between the finishing positions. We have a really nice point system right now uh, with the 35, 32, 30, and on down. And so we've basically shifted that point total over to qualifying. And in order to maintain, and so we didn't get into percentages of points and and that type of thing um, for, for qualifying or just doing a 10, 9, 8, 7, we felt like the opportunity existed to simply add a zero to the races utilize the current point system we have for races and apply that to qualifying. And I don't know about you, John, but I know that uh, the qualifying sessions have been an amazing uh, emotional roller coaster for our audience, your audience. And to add this extra bit now where, you know, the, the am driver, if you will, the first driver in the car sets the grid. We, we stop the session and the second driver goes for championship points. Can you imagine the shootouts that we're going to experience? And, and I like that. And, and this, we should say that this is in the effectively the non-pro classes, so not DPI or GTLM. So where there is a mandated 
uh, a silver or bronze driver. So effectively, that's LMP3, GTD and LMP2. And, and we've seen this work well in the past because quite often, John, and let's let's be blunt about this, the the drivers, the bronze or the silver drivers, are often the drivers who are paying for the effort. And having them be such an integral part of of the qualifying and setting the car on the grid is absolutely right. But giving a pro driver the chance to show us how fast that car can go also seems to me to be the right part of the entertainment. You're, you're spot on. And as you know, in the IMSA technical regulations surrounding BOP, we haven't in recent years looked at qualifying as a uh, element of that. Certainly, we inspect the cars and scrutineering after the qualifying sessions, but we've never taken into account necessarily the data that can come from qualifying when, to your point, um, top talent uh, showcases or further showcases mm. the performance of the car. Now we've got addition, an additional element to look at to make sure that we maintain close competition. And uh, again, it's all about what our audience gets to see and take in. And I can only imagine how exciting uh, your calls and Jeremy's calls are going to be when it comes down to qualifying starting uh, hard to believe in just a handful of months. Yeah, we may have to get a throat lozenge sponsor, sponsor an official throat <laughs> lozenge of, uh, of IMSA Radio and IMSA TV. Um, a, a couple of things, before we move on to the calendars themselves, um, a couple of things that have literally been tweeted in at Specutainment here on Midweek Motorsport whilst we've been talking. How brilliant, says Ian McCarthy, was the IMSA weekend. Can't think of a, another race weekend where the support series are as consistently exciting and interesting. Uh, Super trophy, a particular highlight for me. Looking forward to seeing what's to come with LMP3. Uh, Donald D.R. Rudel says, uh, thanks for the interesting thoughts from Mr. Doonan. I wonder if adding LMP3 might also offer a way to supplement the LMP2 ranks down the road uh, and give the opportunity for teams to move up a level. And that, I mean, that is a good point from Donald uh, that, that you are giving a further stepping stone from teams who have the equipment but haven't had their feet in the big show and potentially as well the longer races in LMP3 in the past. Yeah. Well, first, I want to reinforce that IMSA is committed to the LMP2 platform. Yeah. We've had fantastic teams uh, like ERA this year, uh, Bobby Orgel's PR1 group, uh, Brent O'Neill's Performance Tech, uh, Peter Barron and his StarWorks efforts. So, that, that that we're committed to that uh, program long term. That, that goes back to the constructors. And in I fairness, think, John, before COVID, we were you know had four, five, and six entries. Things were exactly. the changes that you made last year had, had worked. Yeah, yeah. The bronze requirement, the you know having Daytona uh, stand alone in the championship, and then completing a season with a, a realistic number of races that the customers felt uh, was was doable for for their. Uh, their drivers. Um, I think LMP3 obviously comes in a, a little bit uh, lower price point, but you're 100% and, and your, your listeners is spot on. This now gives us an opportunity in 21 and 22 for a couple seasons to take a look at it and hopefully have it serve as a uh, direct feeder system into LMP2 because long-term, uh, those constructors and the LMP2 platform 
uh, are the, the spine or the basis of DPI and, and what LMDH is going to be. So um, we do not uh, in any way want to reflect that LMP2 is, is not important to us. No, indeed. Um, I think it, you know, as you know, in my previous life, uh, a ladder system uh, was a big part of, of you know, what I uh, tried to accomplish in the sport. And I, I see that for us here at IMSA. That's been in, in place uh, for a while now with, with scholarship opportunities for the prototype challenge champion to get a $100,000 credit towards the next step up in IMSA. Let's see what we can do now with LMP3 and, and give everyone a chance to um, launch their careers or, or see the next step in it. I'm, I'm aware that we're taking up your time and uh, I want to run through the the schedule. But before I, we talk about the WeatherTech Sports Guard Championship, um, Pilot Challenge has become such an integral and exciting part of the weekend. A, a full 10 race calendar announced for the Michelin Pilot Challenge as well, which continues as we saw at the weekend, as their Sunday main, if you if you uh, if you understand my meaning there, yep, uh, it just yep. continues to deliver. It, it's fantastic yeah. entertainment, incredible, and uh, to see Robin Waddell and uh, the Rebel Rock team get a win, to see you know the Mustangs and GT4, the Astons. I mean, you look at that grid, and I think as they were on their uh, reconnaissance and, and uh, parade laps, uh, pace laps leading up to the start, there was uh, seven different manufacturers in the top eight positions in GS, uh, which is absolutely remarkable. Uh, obviously, TCR has been a, and a really strong complement to that. Uh, we have some work to do there. We continue to work closely with uh, WSC, Marcello Lati and, and his team uh, to make sure that we've got a level playing field for all the platforms available there. But that, that mix right now in the Michelin Pilot Challenge is, is really strong. And as you say, it just keeps continuing to deliver some exciting races. Uh, we've got a full uh, championship schedule. Everything's provisional, of course, at the moment for the obvious reasons. I really shouldn't have to explain that, but I'll, I'll make that, that point so that you don't have to, John. Before we talk about WeatherTech, how's the rest of this season looking? We heard that uh, at the weekend that IndyCar are, are definitely going to mid-Ohio, although they turned down the opportunity to go to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Both of those venues are in the near future for IMSA, what's the situation with those two events as we head towards the second half of the season now? Well, continuous communication has been the key with all of our promoter partners. I've been in regular contact with uh, the Green Savory Group, Kevin Kevin Savory and Kim Green and Craig Rust at Mid Ohio. Very excited for that to be our next round. Um, hopefully, a beautiful fall weekend at Mid Ohio. Uh, the end of this month. Um, we then head to Charlotte, as you know, a new venue for us with uh, GT only to uh, sort of take the place of uh, one of our 100-minute street races uh, to try to complete. The whole goal has been a, a complete, uh, a full championship. Then, of course, back to Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. And then a, a challenging uh, several weeks for the teams, uh, working with uh, the leadership at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca um, previously announced uh, Hyundai will be the title partner that weekend. We will head to Monterey. We will have our uh, two-hour, 40-minute main show for WeatherTech. We will have the pilot challenge 
And then uh, we're going to turn those teams right around. As I say, a tough, uh, tough journey for them over the fact of uh, Petit Lamar, a trip to Monterey, and then the 12 hours of Sebring. But mm. we're looking good. Knock on wood. Uh, everything clearly is still uh, a little fragile uh, across the country. But as I said uh, in the beginning of March, and I say now, uh, just getting the races in safely yeah. and getting them in efficiently uh, is, is the key. We want to complete a full championship for everybody from our corporate partners to the race teams that put together deals for, for the season. And for 2020, that's this year, for 2021, which is what you were announcing today, um, the, the only headlines I would say, because it looks a very stable calendar, which is what you want. You want date equity. Again, that's something that you and I have talked about many years uh, going back, even before you were in the role you're in now at IMSA. Uh, we've got uh, WeatherTech going back to an April date. We've got a TBA on the date at the raceway at Belle Isle. I, I speculated after you'd made that, that you were probably waiting on the uh, the Detroit Grand Prix and, and Roger Penske's organisation to to finalise uh, when that would be because obviously that fits in um, around Le Mans as well but everything else uh, looks pretty much as we've seen it before John and that's important isn't it for for you for your teams for your sponsors for the fans who think oh it's you know it's the first weekend in July it must be Canadian Tire Motorsport Park for IMSA that, that's an important thing to be able to get into people's diaries it almost sounds as if you've been on some of the phone calls with our promoter partners and our race teams. Um, the goal heading into 21 was to try to claw back some of the stability, as you pointed out, some of the date equity for the fans in those markets that expect to be, as you point out, at Lime Rock or at Road America or at, at uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park on a certain weekend, uh, roughly during the course of the year. The other thing that was really uh, my, 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 I felt really strongly about this, John, going into uh, 21, we had to help the teams relative to their travel. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to go to the West coast, let's try to knock out two races. We'll go to see Jim McCallion and everybody at long beach for the Acura uh, grand prix. We'll then head straight up to WeatherTech raceway back to back. If they're going to make one trip, let's do it. And obviously we're kicking the season off with that at the Roar and the Rolex. Yeah. And the same goes for the Northeast. When we go up to Watkins Glen, let's uh, have a great six-hour race at, at Michael Printup's place with Joe Salen and his folks. And then let's head across the border and knock out another one. Just trying to be sensible as the yeah. teams have all fought through 2020. Let's go into 21, bring back some stability, and also figure out ways that we can – save them on some travel and just make one trip this can only have been very trying uh, the tweets that are coming in have asked me and I, I can't name everybody because they're coming in so quickly here at Spectatainment I know that you'll say that this is a team effort but that as it's you that's on uh, you get the brick bats but you also get the bouquets as well John and plenty of uh, bouquets coming in here about how IMSA has reacted got the season going and right to this point, has got a, a full season looking to be completed. I know that wasn't the work of a moment uh, for you, for the teams, and for your, your stakeholders and, and promoter partners and the teams. So well done on that. And thank you from all of us as 
endurance racing fans. We wish you all very well for next year. And thank you very much for coming on on what I'm sure has been a very uh, busy day with the request for your time. Thank you, Mr. Doonan. Well, thank you. And, and I got to tell you, you know, I showed up here at IMSA and there's an absolutely terrific foundation of people uh, in the organization. I certainly worked with them as a competitor, but uh, you, you get a new appreciation for what goes into uh, putting a series on and for, for putting events on. And I'm really proud of, of the group here for how we've been able to navigate through uh, very uncharted waters. And uh, we wanted to try to bring some excitement and the momentum that we do feel going into 21. While it's challenging, while it's still very uncertain, uh, I do think that we have a good opportunity to carry what we've done in 2020 and uh, a full championship season into, into the new year. And uh, you better, you better make plans as soon as you can uh, to get back to a race. I'd love to see you and Eve and everybody in person. It's, it's just not the same without you. Uh, as soon as we're allowed to travel, <laughs> that's the thing. Um, rather, rather bigger authorities than e than even you, Mr. Doonan, as president of IMSA. John, thanks very much in all seriousness. Thank you very much for Thank joining you, us. Uh, well done for all Take the hard work. And you, best of the Thanks. team. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye Bye-bye. John Doonan do joining us live from uh, One Daytona, the uh, IMSA headquarters on the state of the sport that was announced earlier on with the schedule for next year. Your thoughts, comments, questions, points arising. We'll have John DeGeese from Sportscar365 in Hour 2. Young gun Hunter McElroy is kicking goals in the United States as he chases his dream of becoming an IndyCar driver. So we thought it was time for a catch-up on the grid as he reaches the business end of the Indy Pro season. The Young Gun raced Formula Ford in Australia, joins the show to discuss the challenges of oval racing, living in the US and much more. Then, with both Shebex and Dale on the bench for varying reasons, motorsport commentator Chad Nalon joins the show to break down all the latest in the supercars world and a whole heap more. There's also all the latest news, a chat with Australia's latest Formula One winner, oh yes, and wait till the end for a brief taste or sound of something very special. It's on Thursday night, 9pm UK time on RS1. Hope you can join us then. On to touring car news now, and earlier today, an announcement that uh, friend of the show, Jade Edwards, uh, will be joining uh, the British Touring Car Championship for the Silverstone Round at the end of this month. Uh, the Paramax Racing Vauxhall Astra. Earlier in the week, John spoke to Jade and asked her how she is feeling ahead of making her debut in the championship. I can't hardly believe it myself, to be honest. I have worked and worked for this since I was a 10-year-old kid watching my dad do it. And, you know, the weirdest year in history, and it seems to have all somehow fallen into place. So I cannot wait. We were talking about getting you on the show to talk about all the hard work you've done for your overnight delivery driving. You've gone out <laughs> there, you've done it, and you've been out there... Yeah, so it was actually it was last week was my last shift. Right. Um, I'm still on the I'm still on the books to do any cover shifts last minute. But basically, it's a it's a driver called Paul White who I used to race with in GT racing, who's done 24 hour series and all that sort of stuff. Mm. He owns a company and he hugely helped me out in in lockdown. And he got me in one of his vans and we did some nighttime delivery stuff. And I did it for sort of six months. 
Um, yeah, strange industry. Uh, huge respect for those guys now. Um, but I have to say, I'm somewhat pleased. I've kind of ticked the box, and I'm I'm, I'm back into the normal normal motorsport. Makes you realise how much is going on behind the scenes in business and commerce while we're tucked up and and snoring heavily overnight. Absolutely. I mean, I would text my my family WhatsApp group at sort of ten o'clock at night and go, right, I'm setting off. And, you know, I, I would be awake the whole time they're asleep and it would just be so strange. But obviously in the main lockdown, it was absolutely clear roads and it was a dream. <laughs> As the lockdown freed up, I started hating the, the work a little bit more each time. But, you know, like I said in the in the last sentence, it's it's given me a huge respect for those guys. The guys that are doing driving the lorries all night and it's crazy hours, crazy weather and full respect to them. But, yeah, I'm glad to be back to my uh, normality as such now. And to your dear job of racing, which looked for a while, Jade, like it wasn't going to happen this year. You said it's been a crazy year. How did this drive in the Powermax Astra come about? Yeah, so um, obviously with the with the COVID coming in, I had a few sponsors that are in the um, like sort of festival light and sound industry, and for them, their industry's kind of collapsed now. It's it's not non-existent this year, so we couldn't put a full season together. Um, but it wasn't a we're leaving you as a sponsor. It was it was simply we can't do anything at the moment. However, I've got some sponsors that aren't in that industry and can put a little bit in. So when Powermax obviously announced that they weren't doing the full season, but were doing some drives. Uh, they contacted me. Uh, I put it forward to my sponsors and to everyone that supports me and, and we went for it. So, you know, it's it's all fallen into place fairly short notice, but I absolutely can't wait. And I can't thank everyone that supports me and sponsors me enough to, to make this happen. You've been part of the British Touring Car Championship with your, your Renault racing for, for quite a while. So Silverstone, it's going to be... And that's a circuit that presumably you know, and you know you know the paddock, but you're going to have to get used to BTCC racing rather than 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 Renault Clio racing. Yeah, and I think you know last year I proved that I'm you know I, I suit the Silverstone National Circuit. It's fast. I like mm. anywhere fast. So Thruxton's my top favourite circuit in the UK. But Silverstone National, although it's short, you know it's quite fast and it's it's very competitive. So. That's the reason we chose that circuit. And coming from Clear Cup Racing, you've seen it yourself. It is door to door the whole time. And I think there's no better championship to kind of set you up for, for British touring cars. But I have to say that every driver that stepped into touring cars has always gone, oh, it's still intense. It's still more than I thought it was going to be. It's still, you know, it's still a surprise. So I think for me, I have benefit from being around the championship since I was 10 years old. So I've seen every crash, every race, every photo finish. So... You know, I'm I'm ready for it, but it's still going to be an eye opener, I think. I, I hesitate to ask this because it's a one-off drive, as I understand it. It's a one-off drive at the moment, so I guess that setting any kind of goals is quite dangerous. The good news is you've got front-wheel drive experience and you go into it with your eyes open. But what what are you expecting? Let, let me put it a different way. Let's not talk about goals. What do you expect to get out of it, Jed? I have dreamt of racing in British touring cars since I was a child. So just to sit on that grid of that race, regardless of what position, is a goal and a dream ticked already. So for me, I'm, I'm winning as, as we enter the paddock into that race weekend. Obviously, in my own mindset and my own competitive nature, I've got a position or a place or a lap time that I would love to achieve. 
but I'm going to kind of keep that all to myself. Um, and that's personal goals and personal achievements. For me, I'm just going to have a big grin on my face. I'm going to sign every autograph, take every photo, <laughs> enjoy every lap. I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm living a dream. It's for one weekend only. So I've just got to enjoy it. It's not going to be one weekend. I'll tell you that now because I know you well enough and you and I have sat together in the wee small hours at Dubai and other places around the world where we've been looking at endurance racing and your drive and your emotion and your belief rightly held I should say you've never let yourself down you've never let your sponsors down so you this is a massive opportunity for you and, and you understand that don't you absolutely and for me Part of the reason why I've decided to do this is to put myself on that platform to mm-hmm. do a full campaign for next year. And sponsorship for me, is, it's, it's hard for everyone to get, and especially in this current climate. And I thought, what's the best way to kind of put yourself on a pedestal and go, right, I'm here and I mean business. And the best way to do it is to go into the championship that you want to race in. So if I can stand up there and go, look, I'm a character, I'm determined, I'm passionate, and I'm not terrible behind the wheel, you know, all those factors <laughs> together... I'm hoping means I can line up at media day for next year. You know, that's the overall goal is to, to, to do a full season next year. And I'm, I'm fiercely stubborn, I will say. So I'm not going to give up on that dream for a while yet. Not that this matters. And you know, it doesn't matter to me and neither does it matter to the stopwatch or the car. But it's been a long time since we've had a female driver in the British Touring Car Championship. I feel bad about bringing that up, but there will be people who will talk about that. And was it Fiona Leggett who was the last driver? Yeah, Fiona Leggett in 2007. So I think it's it's over a decade. I think it's about 13, 13, 14 years since a female was taken to the grid on a British touring car race. So it's it's not something that I focus on, but it's definitely a factor. You know, it's mm. definitely something that we need to point out. And for me, if I can, I'm obviously going to be that first female that, that breaks the doors open for the female drivers in that championship again. But I want to stay there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, regardless of whether I can stay there, I hope that another female gets a chance as well. Um, because I think we need a couple on the grid just to mix things up a bit. But you know and I know it's all about results, isn't it? It's not It's not about anything else. No, it's exactly that. And it's results and it's and it's it's trying to get sponsorship in. We're not we're not going to turn away from the fact that motorsport is, you know, money, money It's money behind it and sponsorship. So for me, it's it's results is a strong aspect. Absolutely. But you've got to be able to get the the publicity and the marketing and everything around it. So that's what I try and focus on. And I think, what can I do off track that's quite entertaining that will bring in the the entertainment on track as well? So, yeah, it's a a nine to five. Well, it's not even nine to five. You know what motorsport's like. It's 25, 8 in my world at the moment. (laughs) Yes. um, Yeah, it's it's hard work, but I'm ready for it. Jade, who are the people who have supported you, who have got you, have stuck with you in, a, in what's been a difficult time that's, that's got you this opportunity in terms of your sponsors? So I've got my long-term sponsors who are Spectra Analysis, um, Julie Winch, Perry Winch. They're absolute motorsport nutters. Um, yeah, so they've helped me massively. Then we've got PHSC, Stephen King, MIS Insurance and uh, a company called Blue Dog Security. They've stuck with me year in, year out. Uh, little amounts, big amounts. They they actually got me out in Barcelona 24 hours mm. a couple of years ago. And Remember that. So they're, they're, they're guys that have been around for years and, and they've made this happen. So I can't can't thank them enough. So get on the internet and find out more about them, those of you who are listening. And if you need anybody who supplies those services, you go to them first because they are supporting 
supporting motorsport. All right, Powermax as the team that my old mate Plato should have mm. been driving for this year. So have you got Plato's car? Have you got the one that's actually straight? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know yet. I haven't been to the to the workshop to see it, but um, yeah, I'll be trying to sniff out Jason's car because you know for a fact that it's going to be a, a good one. Um, <laughs> but he, he might have locked it away in his own garage at his house just to make sure no one gets near it. But um, yeah, to be honest, Powermax run a great car regardless. Yes, so uh, I, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I'm not bothered. Put me in one and I'll, I'll do the best I can. It'd be very cool if Jade comes back to me afterwards and says, I want that car that Jade was driving because obviously that <laughs> was the quick one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And another interesting thing as well is uh, Tom Onzo Cole's actually announced his return. So we used to be housemates. We've done GT racing together and now he's going to be racing the same weekend as my touring car debut as well. So can't wait for that one. Oh it's my be God. Good. Yeah. Uh, and the weekend We've, that we're talking about is the 26th and 27th of September, is that right? That's that's the one, yeah, Silverstone National. Right, well, that is the same weekend as the Nürburgring 24, but it's Silverstone... It is. Na- are we going to... We're not allowed any spectators at the moment in BTCC, are we? We haven't had an official announcement for Silverstone, but up till now we've not been allowed spectators, but that you it could change at any moment. But as it stands, we haven't had an announcement either way but it'll be on ITV here in the UK and you can follow yep. it online wherever else you are. I I can't tell you how <laughs> pleased I am on your behalf, so I can't imagine how pleased you are on your behalf. This doesn't happen by accident, Jade. You've worked really long and hard for this, so this is not luck. This is hard work. You deserve it. Now Thank go you. out and take your chance and enjoy. Oh. Just enjoy it. Take all those pictures you were talking about because it's going to be mega for you, Jade. Absolutely. Thanks, John. And you guys have always supported me and helped me out. And I've always enjoyed the, like you say, the the long hours up in the comms box during in, endurance racing. So I'll, I'll have you guys in my mind when, when I'm racing around there. And, you know, thanks for all your support over the years. Race well. Be safe. Thank you. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? Uh, no, no, no point at all in even asking Mark. Uh, we're a dessert-free zone uh, this evening. I just uh, had thanks to Jade Ed- yeah, thanks to Jade Edwards for doing that before actually that was announced. And uh, thanks for the trust, uh, Jade, and good luck in that. And thanks to Nate Siebens for setting up the John Doonan interview at very short notice, indeed, and Mr. Doonan for his time. Uh, moving into the second half of tonight's programme a little bit later, we'll have Nick back in a wee while because we've got more Formula One. John DeGeese of Sportscar365 joins us to talk about that state of the sport. Shea Adam is with us as well. But next, Anne Bradshaw from the Motor Ho- Formula One Hall of Fame. We'll be talking to her. She's in Italy right now, getting ready for the Tuscan Grand Prix. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Delighted to say that joining us now on Midweek Motorsport, uh, the, oh, I've got to say, the F1 Hall of Fame inductee, Anne Bradshaw. Anne, welcome to the, the programme. Uh, and we are, we are looking back and reflecting on the end of an era here with the, the Williams name will stay, but the Williams family now not part of uh, the Formula One paddock for the first time in, well, all the time that I can 
remember. Changing of the guard, end of the era. You've been around that team for a long time. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, yeah very sad last weekend and very emotional to see Claire be the last person to, to represent the family in Formula One. Um, but yeah, end of an era. I mean, they were the last truly independents. I mean, look at the others. Some went by the wayside. Obviously, we've got people like McLaren, the name still there, which is great. But yeah, no, I think Williams, it's, um, it is I mean, over 40 years and, uh, and suddenly, yeah, they're, they've gone. And uh, it was the only thing that could do because in this day and age, um, you, you need a lot of money and a lot of investment to, to make a Formula One team work. I was going to ask you that because obviously you've been close to that team over the years for many years. You know Sir Frank and clearly you know Claire because she's grown up in, in the paddock and in the business uh, effectively. It is the time of those private teams now. You know, does that prove what we've been seeing for a wee while now, that those times are gone, Anne? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think they have. In Formula One, they have. Um, OK, you know, they're trying to bring it down to sensible cost, you know, the, the cost cap, the, the new Concord Agreement, all the things that, that Liberty and the FIA are doing, you know, working hard to make it more affordable. But still, you know, when you look at even even a, a cost cap, you know, say 145 million, it's a lot of money to, <laughs> to find to go motor racing, <laughs> whatever way you look at it. It's not the kind of money that most, even most large companies now can find and justify down the back of the corporate sofa. Certainly isn't. What what uh, what, what was your first memory then of, of the, the Williams team? So Frank obviously had been a, an entrant and a privateer with other people's cars before he he put his own equipe together. Can you remember when you first first bumped into or were aware of the, the, the Williams team and, and Sir Frank? Oh, I mean, it was way back in the 70s um, because that's when I started full-time in the sport and I was organising race meetings and things like the Race of Champions. So, yeah, I came across Frank in those early days when he was, yeah, I mean, he was, he was he, yeah, the likes of Frank, you know, Ken Tyrrell and those sort of people, um, you know, John Surtees and they, they were, they were, passionate racers who just wanted to have a team. And lots of them, like Frank, they were, they were passionate, first of all, about being a racing driver and then realised that they were useless at that, but turned their talents to putting together a team of talented people, going racing and, and having a lot of fun. And I think that's, uh, that's the Frank I first knew. I then worked for the team the first time in 85 when Cannon came along. And obviously it was getting to the point where you needed the big sponsors like Canon, you needed the manufacturers like Honda, you needed them to, to, to help you be at the front of the grid. You couldn't just do it on going and buying a, a Cosworth engine and, and borrowing a bit of money from the bank. <laughs> Which is how it all did start, of course, yeah. Extraordinar yeah. extraordinarily. So in that era, though, and there were top dogs, and you mentioned Frank's ability to assemble a, a brilliant team of people around him. He was steely. He knew business, and yeah. he his uh, what we would now call HR, uh, uh, and and he, the way he dealt with his staff perhaps sometimes uh, wouldn't pass muster nowadays. I'm sure, but it was effective. He he was he was not against setting drivers up against each other to get no. them to to drive faster, but it worked. They were super yeah. successful. Yeah, I mean, he just. He just loved races. I mean, um, I remember when it was the 40th anniversary of, of the team, 
few years ago and, and you looked at the, the people who were there, the, the Rosbergs and the, the, you know, the Prosts and, and the Hills and those sort of people. But I, I always remember the famous Damon comment when they all stood there in, you know, with, behind Frank and, and Damon turned around and said, you know what, we've all got one thing in common, Frank sacked us. He wasn't scared of that, though, was he? You know, he he wasn't prepared. I mean, you know, we hear about it in football, in soccer now, uh, in the Premiership clubs, player power. Well, he was never going to let driver power take over what was undoubtedly his team at that time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, he loved drivers, don't get me wrong. I mean, to him, a, a racing driver, I mean, being on the PR side, no point going to Frank and saying, well, that driver won't talk to the media. He didn't care. If that driver got in a car and did a good job, that's what he was employed for, not 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 to be nice to the man from the Daily Mirror or something like that. Um, but yeah, I know he 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 was passionate about his drivers and and those who did well in his car. You know, he it just brought a joy to him. And obviously, you know, in the latter years when you know, poor Frank was in a wheelchair, um, you know, that's that's what he lived for is to see his cars going around tracks with with the likes of, of Mansell and Prost and, and, and sadly Senna in them who who were the people who he he idolized and it, it is very much a measure of the man that even his accident and his subsequent uh wheelchair being confined to a wheelchair it didn't really slow him down and, and it, it's almost a force of will with sir frank isn't it and and, and I, I get that I get that that's been passed on down through the generations as well because Claire doesn't f- suffer fools uh, either uh, and she's got the same... I see the same steely determination in her eyes sometimes, no doubt about that. Oh, absolutely. The work ethic, the, the way that ran the team, the, the interaction with people, pick, you know, doing everything that was best for that team. And, and when I say the team, also the mechanics knows... It, very determined that everybody should have a, a, a great situation to go racing in. Um, you know, you look at, if you go to the factory, it's the cleanest factory you'll ever go to. Everything was immaculate. And, but they, they, they bought the best of things, expected the best of people and got the best of people because that's how they worked. Uh, the, the name will live on. Thankfully, much like you've already mentioned with McLaren, which, you know, I think that's good. I think that's important for the, the history of the sport. It's almost everybody's second favourite team, Williams. And you saw the outpouring of emotion and I think respect as well from the other teams, particularly anybody who's been around the sport for a long time uh, at, at Monza uh, at the weekend. Is this the opportunity for the team and the team name to get back to the front? They've got a long-term you're in the paddock, you'll hear what's going on. They've got a long-term deal with Mercedes-Benz, which I'm absolutely certain was was part uh, of the negotiations with the uh, the venture capital team who've taken over. Uh, is it an, an opportunity to, to get all of our favourite, everybody loves Williams, always has done, to get them back to the front? Well, you'd hope so. Um, we know, have to be honest, say we know very little about Doralton. I mean, it's a name that none of us a couple of weeks ago had ever heard of. Um, I know that that um, uh, people, you know, obviously know uh, Matthews, who was a driver. I knew his dad, who was a driver, <laughs> uh, which does, yes. So I, 
Dave Matthews, who, who raced back in the 70s very successfully. And obviously, James Matthews, I understand, was, was not bad. But so he understands, he's got a love of the sport. The other guys in there, um, I take it, are just the businessmen. So hopefully, they bring all their passion and expertise together. And that, that will bring the success, which we hope. Also, with, with the new regulations, I think yeah. it's if you're going to come into Formula One, if you looked at it a few years ago, you thought, oh, no, it's too expensive and it's all, you know, all the wrong direction because you know, there was no chance to get back. But I think everybody leaves, believes that with new regulations coming out, the signing of the Concord Agreement, the cross cap, everything there means that a team like Williams can progress, can go forward um, with the right backing, the right finance. And we wish them, the new owners, Doralton, the, the very best uh, in that. There'll be a lot talked about uh, and written about Williams in the in the next few weeks and towards the end of the season uh, and obviously people in different parts of the sport will shine a spotlight on different sides of, of Williams and what they've achieved you're in a, a, a unique situation having been in the paddock for so long and been so close to the team what what uh, what legacy, if there is such a thing as a legacy in Formula One, because it moves forwards relentlessly, but what legacy do you think Sir Frank uh, and latterly Claire and the Williams family will leave in Formula One, other than obviously the name continuing? What what on a on a maybe on a even more personal level, what do you think that that they will mean to Formula One if we look back in five or ten years' time? Well, people will look and. and and just admire their tenacity and the way that, despite some dreadful setbacks and some heartbreaking moments, they never gave up. Um, as you say, you look at the Franks accident, he, he came back stronger almost, you know, more determined. Claire, obviously recently, you know, she's, she's had problems to sort out with the car not performing, but their tenacity, they never gave up. They never, and, and when this, it, was, it became clear that the team could not continue in the same form. She wasn't frightened to say, right, we've now got to do what we call the strategic review. We've got to find somebody who, if I can't get the money, they can get the money and look for a safe pair of hands. And that was what she did. And she could have shied away from that, but she never did. She actually knew that that's what was the best for all those people working for her and who worked for her father. And that's a very good point, Anne, because what they've done, I mean, okay, it's great the name goes forward, but the people who work for Williams Formula One, their paychecks are going to keep coming through. And actually, it really doesn't matter whose name is on the bottom yeah. there. They've got a future now. And we've seen, all right, it's a few years ago now, how easy it is for Formula One teams to disappear and leave people with debts. That's not happening here. A strategic business, a steely, I've used that word a couple of times, a steely yeah. decision by the Williams family to ensure the continuation of, of the team and the people within the team. That's what it looks like to me. And that sounds very Sir Frank and, and very clear to me. Absolutely, yeah. They, they always put the, the team first. And there's a lot of people there that they knew that if, if things went wrong, would not have a job. They would not be able to pay mortgages. And especially, let's be honest, in the times we are in now with the, the pandemic and all these sort of things. So it was even more important to find that right partner to come in and take it on and uh, yeah it's great because they uh, 
a lot of people were very sad on Sunday, but those guys were not also worrying, oh, we're losing Claire, but will I lose my job? Which is, which is you know, what you want to know. There'll be no replacement. Uh, it is the passing of time, the, uh, the end of an era, if you will. However, you're talking to us at the moment um, from what sounds a very grand location. Obviously, you've been put up in a, in a gorgeous castle or chateau because it sounds huge out there. Uh, and for, for Michelle this, this weekend, uh, first time for Formula One in an age uh, going to uh, Mugello. In fact, first time single-seaters for a while. You were there back in the... Uh, was, that the was it the A1GP era? Yeah, we, we, we came here and we tested. We were going to race, but unfortunately we never got to race. But we did bring the cars because they were also Ferrari, they were Ferrari engines in those course, days. Yes. Um, we came here and did a, did a test, I don't know, 12 years ago. I'm trying to think, most likely longer than that. But So I remembered it very fondly. I mean, I love this part of Italy. It's, it's just magnificent. But I remember it fondly. And uh, the circuit, I mean, everybody said, oh, it's a bit small. Everybody's getting in. The, the trucks are all in there. They're, they're looking really smart. You're looking around the Tuscan hills. And it, it, it actually is the most beautiful sight. There are worse places to be, full stop. Never mind worse places to be for a Formula One race. And we wish you well. I know how busy it is this week. I still can't wait for you to start putting thoughts and pens to paper in that book or several volumes of books, I'm sure, from your remembrances. Thanks for joining us on Midweek Motorsport and, and remembering the Williams team. Always a pleasure to talk to you, John, and uh, any time. And uh, say hi to, the, hi to the fans, and I hope they're enjoying what the show that Formula One's putting on, um, even if things have been pretty tough for everybody. But we hope we're, that we're you know, giving them something to smile about because we feel for them. Uh, it's been a great job by everybody concerned. And Bradshaw, thanks for joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Right, Tim, Nick, your thoughts next on uh, Williams as well. Follow that is what I say. Nick? Well, it's, it's quite hard to follow, Anne. Um, oddly, Anne, when I walked into the paddock in 1996, um, Anne was one of the first people I actually, actually spoke to, because obviously at that point it was coming down to wire and Damon Hill was about to win the championship. But Williams, you know, Williams is, is, is you know, before I became embroiled, I was very much a Williams fan. I was you know, mm. right from the early days. I was a fan of Alan Jones. There's some there's some old pictures my sister took of of me, I think, on Facebook still in 1985 at the European Grand Prix, uh, for, trailing a Williams car down the pit lane. I actually had a Williams gilet at one point, believe it or not. One of the, the few bits of team wear I've worn. But absolutely, yeah, yeah. I remember staying if up If only you could see my face now. Yeah, I know. I remember staying up all night to watch the Australian Grand Prix in 86, mm -hmm. where, of course, Nat Mansell lost because of the uh, the tyre blowout. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, you, you, as you know, John, when, when, you, when you stop, we, we, we do the job we do. You have to put your fandom to one side. Correct. Um, but you, you obviously always, you can't take away the soft spot. And obviously, I think, you know, from the, the reason we perhaps been a little bit hard on the team is because we cared. And it's obvious that, that, that finally the Williams family saw the time when they needed to get out. They've got out. Hopefully they've chosen a good venture capitalist. They're not all evil. Some of them are okay. And, and they'll take the team forward. But I think, you know, that, that level of certainty there now is, it's not a bottomless pit. Makes you think there's a good chance. And, and Anne made the point uh, that um, James Matthews, and I remember his dad, did, uh, uh, racing as well. For the time being, at least, there's another racer at the helm, um, albeit, you know... Um, obviously coming from a slightly different background. Um, that's not the worst thing right now because at least they should have uh, some empathy towards what's going on. 
Yeah, I think no one is blind to the situation the team's in. Um, they now, as of next year, have a guarantee, pretty much guarantee, uh, apart from sponsor, of how much money will that they'll be receiving. Mm. So you can start making a pretty good financial plan. You can always work out what you're going to spend, but you know that you're not going to be outspent by cubic dollars. If you're doing 90 million and the top team's doing 140 million, it's very different from you doing 90 million and them doing 300 million. So, mm. you know, it is moving towards that. I mean, it's never going to be even, but it's moving towards a slightly more level playing field, but more importantly, a much more predictable playing field, which obviously appeals to people who are primarily concerned with money. And they're not, you know, they're not all completely concerned money, but at the end of the day, uh, Doriton, whilst they are a long-term investing uh, VC, they're not a three-year in burn company. They're, a, you know, they're a ten-year and, and sell-on environment. They'll still want to see that moving forward. And you know, and, and if the vision from Liberty works, then they should have a, a growing asset. And obviously, one of the best ways to grow that asset is making sure it moves up the up the grid. How far up it goes, who knows? Uh, Tim Greer is up in London. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 15, episode 36. Add spec entertainment. Keep them coming in. Still more to come on the IMSA announcement. Uh, John DeGeese coming up in a wee while with Shea. Uh, Williams, Tim, um, we've we've all, let's be honest, in all of our previews and reviews over the last how many ever years, uh, we've all sort of bemoaned the issues. At, at Williams, um, what I mean is it just money that needs to be invested there to turn it around? I think they've had some personnel issues, uh, and I think Nick would agree with me that that there have been probably two people who had the team not employed them, uh, they might have gone in a different direction technically and mm. not been quite so bad over the last five years because there haven't they haven't always been even recently they haven't been the poorest team on the grid they've had free engines they've had some significant sponsors um i'm talking about the deodorant company uh are you sure yes okay but not in uh, America or <laughs> New Zealand or the other countries where it's not called that. Um, so, so I think it's a combination. Money has certainly played a part in it, but money is not the only reason that uh, they spent four consecutive seasons finishing last. Uh, and the and the problem with Formula One is it is a downward spiral as it stands at the moment, Nick, because the the fewer points you get, the, few, the the less money you earn, the less you can invest in the following season. And actually, in some ways, for teams that haven't done that well recently, the stability of regulations hasn't helped because there's no massive changes in cars. So it's it's tiny evolutions. And if, if you've got the wrong concept to start with, then, then you're stuck with it. This is the problem that Ferrari are having with their... Uh, "Quote unquote down on power engine, they built they built that car with a concept to have 60 horsepower more. Now that it doesn't, the whole thing doesn't work, and 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 that has been an issue. We, I mean, I, I'm, I'm yeah. not talking about Fry, I'm talking about Williams. No, no. You know, if you yeah. you have a bad concept, it takes you a while to recover from it. Well, the whole the whole finishing last gives you less money, so you can't go up. It's almost the definition of a vicious circle, isn't it? Really? Yes. Um, yeah, and there has been an issue, but I think you know what what has been missing from the Williams team is pragmatic decisions. They've mm. carried on 
going down a course of this is we're going to do it this way because that's the way we've always done it and regardless of what you think of the copycat um you know the pink mercedes the fact is that that racing point is using the gearbox the rear suspension but the brake dubs when they're allowed to the brake yeah the brake the, the brake intakes and everything else and Williams decided they wanted to do it all themselves for very little gain if no gain um you know and you know taking resource costing money where you could just buy it off the shelf and and you know because they, they were holding on to this you know ultra independent environment where they did the whole thing um you know it, it, it that's that's one of the elements they made uh, mistakes they made i think really and and you know that lack of pragmatism which i'm sure is one thing that the uh, the money men will bring straight into the into the environment mm. uh, and i mean it is the end of an era everybody's going to see it um the fact that uh sir frank and williams has hung on you know it's not an independent team it hasn't been they've been listed on the it's the German stock market that's been listed on. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of people actually would say that was the start of their troubles when the, 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 the BMW thing fell fell over. But as I said to Anne, it's almost like it is everybody's second favourite team. Um, and, and, and there is a bit of a link to the past. And, and that is going to change now, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, no one doesn't think that McLaren's a grand isn't a, isn't a historically representative team because Bruce hasn't been there since 1970 isn't it mm. um, you know I think we realise that teams evolve and, and realistically you know Ferrari's not run by the person who who who, who started it either you know but it still has the DNA of the organisation it's not a it's not for example when BAR just took the entry fee from so the entry number from, from mm. Tyrrell and moved up to something else entirely it still it still retains that that Williams DNA you know and it's and it will do because it's, it's effectively taken over running with the same car same man- people and everyone else just the management's changed so it's you know Man United doesn't change when they change the manager. It stays Man United, and I think that's 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 very much where the, the, the some of these uh, Williams, Ferrari, McLaren are all able to continue that that legacy. And Nick, Stabbit. who is now the longest-serving team principal? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I'm going to say Franz Toast. It might be Christian Horner. It is Christian Horner. It can't be Christian Horner. It is Christian Horner. Yeah, he's- Christian Horner's been whinging about things now, what, <laughs> about 2011, Six. 2010? No, earlier oh, than that. Said, earlier than that. Was he from the start of the Red Bull project? Yes, yes. He came in after a couple of years. Wow. He must be very young then. Straight out of... Well, wasn't it again? 3,000, yeah. Yes. Straight out of working, working special magic with the dampers at Arden and into F1, not bad. Mm. Uh, Nick will be back to do our Formula 1 team by team in a moment, but the big news uh, of earlier on today was that of the state of the sport but John Doonan, uh, who we took that live earlier on, and we had John, the president of uh, IMSA, on the show earlier on. And to give us a little bit more analysis and depth now that uh, the dust has settled in some respects, delighted to welcome the founder and uh, managing editor of Sportscar 365, John DeGeese, joins us from Chicago. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um. Nice to have Mr. Doonan on earlier on to explain some of the thinking behind these concepts. Uh, there, there was a few curveballs there that I'm not sure people were were expecting. Changes to uh, sporting regulations, changes to point scoring, qualifying. Uh, most notably, though, the addition of LMP3 to WeatherTech. And, and you've already posted a story that says the first entry is ready to go. 
Yeah, uh, Riley Motorsports had just confirmed it a few minutes ago that um, Dylan Murray and uh, Jim Cox will be at the wheel of a Liget uh, JSP320 uh, in the, the WeatherTech Championship next year. So I guess they're the first official confirmed entry into the class. Um, they're moving up from the GS category, obviously, from Michelin Pilot Challenge. So uh, great to see a, a team already committing. Uh, the the issue that I brought up with John playing devil, devil's advocate earlier on was another class um, to, to quote-unquote further complicate. People who don't like multi-class racing will already be saying that, I've no doubt. And fitting an LMP3 field into the spread of performance that goes from DPI to GTD. And John was very clear about the fact that, that with the technical guys at IMSA, they expect that car to be somewhere between LMP2 and GT Le Mans, which is great. That's where it should be. You know, it's the third prototype category ahead of the two GT categories. Um, are we going to get issues with people who are paying potentially more to go GTD racing um, than there would be to be in an LMP3 car uh, and, and go faster and further up the overall grid? Yeah, that's one possibility for sure. I know there's a few GTD uh, car owners or gentlemen drivers per se that are looking at LMP3 right now. Actually, Ben Keating is one of them that mm. actually went on record before LMP3 was even made official for the WeatherTech Championship. We had a story with him earlier in the week about that. And uh, yeah, um, from a budget standpoint, LMP3 is going to be significantly cheaper. It'll be the m most cost-effective class in the WeatherTech Championship. I heard numbers around 20% cheaper than LMP2 at the moment right now okay. and both of those categories are running to similar schedules um, you know the four Michelin Endurance Cup races and then um, other rounds um, obviously Daytona is a non-points event for both LMP2 and LMP3 so um, you can sort of factor in those budgets accordingly but um, GTD you know is at least double of what an LMP2 or LMP3 budget oh, really? is and it's, so if if you want to go racing as a gentleman driver, if you're a Jim Cox, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense to go into prototypes. Um, I'm not so certain that LMP3 is the ultimate destination, that it's the one cure, it's the one fix all for the series. Mm -hmm. I I honestly believe IMSA is doing this to help fill the field of prototypes because we, we look at the potential of having fewer DPIs next year. Um, LMP2 is a bit wishy-washy right now in terms of who's in there, who's not. Um, COVID's obviously had a big effect Massive. on LMP2. Yes. Yeah. So we don't know what next year is going to bring. There's some rumors of some European teams potentially wanting to come over here full-time, but COVID could affect that as well. So um, LMP3 does make sense in some ways, but like you said, adding another category, it doesn't make it any easier for the fans to follow. And, and well, that's my job, isn't it? I suppose I'll just <laughs> just have to dig in uh, a bit harder. Um, quickly run through a couple of other things because I know how busy you are. Changes to the points. Was anybody asking for that? I, I that was the first I saw that, and 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 quite honestly, it's a multiplication of what we have now with the finishing order points. Um, I don't understand the logic behind that, really. Just multiplying it by ten. Um, you know, personally, but I suppose I, if yeah. they were adding the points for qualifying, then they had to do something. But my question then would be, you know, 32 points for qualifying. 
three points for pole, two points for second, one point for third. It could have been pretty simple for that, for qualifying. You but know? Does, is that enough, John, mm. when it's 32 yeah. points against, uh, or 35 points rather, against 350 points for a win? Is it enough to have you well, burn still, another set of tyres? Yeah, but that's still divisible by the same amount almost. 35 divided by 350 is 10%. So if you yeah. go three points divided by 35, that it's... Eight percent, so roughly around the same. I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to nitpick here, but it, no, no. it was sort of caught me off guard with the, the the multiplication of of points. I do understand the points for qualifying. That makes a lot of sense, and I think that's going to bring a great show to qualifying. Agreed. I'm still a little interesting to see what will happen with the pro am classes, with having the am driver qualify for, but the position, but the pro qualify for the points. Mm. Um, that's a new take of this whole qualifying format we have we obviously seen the wec have two driver qualifying formats where they take the average time between the two drivers and imsa's deciding to actually do it a little differently and i'm afraid that might be a little more confusing too to explain to fans but um hey you got to try some new things and um that's exciting to see something new uh being trialed for next year at least i don't have to do a long division in my head um (laughs) when i'm working out who's on pole it is just the fastest time um as far as the schedules are concerned it's a return to date equity that's what we talked about there's never anything wrong with that um whether tech race we're going to say it goes back to earlier in the year whether it can be a bit odd around that time there we're still waiting for a final date for Belle Isle, which presumably is, is all down to the Detroit Grand Prix and, and, and Roger Penske. But yeah. the, the calendar itself, all things being provisional in this weird world we live in now, has has a nice cuddly feel of, of you know, recognition to it. I, I, I feel I, I understand what we're doing. Yeah, and we've had this kind of calendar for quite a few years. I think we're going in year four or five where we basically have more or less the same thing. I know Laguna has moved around its dates, and I think it was smart for IMSA to move it to April for two reasons. Um, One, because of the IndyCar race that was um, to be held there in September. You know, we we, uh, having two major races at that track in September was always going to be a challenge in terms of the fans. And two, to have it right after Long Beach, that makes it really simple from a logistics point of view to have the teams that are competing at Long Beach um, stay over on the West Coast and compete at Laguna Seca. So um, in terms of trying to save costs, you can definitely see IMSA looking into some areas. And we've talked about the the, the roar before the 24 as mm. well, you know, the week before the, the race itself, that's going to save some costs. And then also GT Daytona going down one one race in their overall season the the ctmp round will be a weathertech sprint cup only race so um that helps things as well from from that category so um you definitely can see some improvements i don't know if it's everything that could have been done you know you look at what's being rumored for the wec you know going down to six rounds um a drastic cut um, perhaps, you know, in, in costs and, 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 and whatnot there. IMS is sort of keeping things somewhat similar. We've we've seen the car counts drop a little bit because of COVID, but some of that's temporary. We were hopeful that most of those teams will come back next year or, or later this year. So um, I think overall, I'm pretty pleased with the way the calendar came out. Mm. Um, just would be curious to see if there's any other cost-saving measures they can sort of add into the, the weekends themselves to, to make it a little more efficient. And... John was pretty bullish about getting the season finished off. That's always been the the big hope. Uh, and it seems that Mid-Ohio, after the 
the IndyCar announcement, uh, WeatherTech Risk will Laguna Seca. That one's, I, I still think that one, you know, yes, he says it's going to happen. Uh, that, you know, there's a situation there, as everybody knows, with fires in, in California uh, at the moment. But but in, in point of fact, John, um, whilst it's been inconvenient for a lot of us, IMSA have done a pretty good job in getting the, the season as it stands at the moment, getting the season finished by the time we get to, to Sebring. Yeah, and you look at some other championships that have had to do have had to make really drastic measures to to, to cut down their calendars or or uh, move to different venues or what whatnot. You look at Formula E having I think eight races or whatever in a ten mm. week span. You look at NASCAR having races on weekdays. Um, um, IndyCar not f- um, fulfilling all of their dates, and, and here IMSA is so. I think really tip of the hat does go off to John Doonan and everybody there because um, they have been able to maintain this. Yeah. It hasn't been easy. Um, there have been sacrifices, but I, I think overall it's been in, in done in a very good way. We've had some great races um, through the summer months, and I, I think there's still some great racing left. Uh, and I know it's early days, and you've been taking some soundings. Um, the paddock seems reasonably happy with what they've heard today. Or the paddocks, I should say, because obviously there's the the Challenger Series as well. Yeah, I, I know there was a lot of discussion back and forth between the IPC and WeatherTech teams that in prototypes, and there were there's a lot of mixed feelings about bringing in LMP3 into WeatherTech because it's is that the solution? Will that uh, take away from IPC? There was some talk of, of that series perhaps going down to a four-race calendar that mm. ultimately didn't materialize. It's still going to be six races next year, but all the races will be one hour, 45 minutes instead of, I think there was one of the four-hour Enduro this year, mm. or three hours. I'm not, I don't remember exactly. But um, so, yeah, I, we'll see on the LMP3 front. The only thing that they have going for them now is that there is this new gen car, the, the Evo kit and, and the, the new cars do look great. The, the, the Liget and, and the Duquesne. So um, I think that will help spur on some, some extra sales, but I, I just hope it doesn't come at a sacrifice to some existing teams and other classes. Um, yes. You know, like seen with, with um, Dylan and, and, and Jim stepping up to LMP3, we lose a, a pilot challenge entry with that, which obviously is not a huge deal because, there's a huge field of cars there, and we have the Toyota Supers coming in next year with Riley as well. But it could have a, a trickle effect. Um, you know, look at somebody like Performance Tech that has LMP has an LMP2 car. They withdrew from Road Atlanta because of some issues with Cameron Castles and and the border issues in Canada. But they have an LMP2 program already. But they also field LMP3 cars in IMSA Prototype Challenge. So what does a team like that do? Do they put their focus around LMP3 yeah. or LMP2 or both? And I think that's where the issue sort of stands here, that there's almost too many too many options, and it might dilute dilute the classes overall, and you're not going to have as strong of a, a pro-am prototype class when you have two different ones to choose from. I know that uh, there'll be stories coming in all day today uh, with you, John, uh, still uh, in the afternoon uh, over there in the US. Thanks for taking some time out to join us. Sportscar 365 for all the latest and all the breaking news after we go off air. Thanks, JD. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, John. John DeGeese joining us then uh, from the US. Shea Adam is part of our IMSA radio team. All of that said... Um, what, what are you hearing from your contacts? 
Um, I've been in touch with quite a few GTV teams. Three of them have gotten back to me actually in the uh, hour, I guess it's been since the announcement, just to try and find out a little bit more about this points change and then obviously the ramifications for the qualifying. And a lot of the teams are intrigued with the fact that there will be points for qualifying. But out of the three that I've contacted, two of them, have, or the three that have gotten back to me, I should say, two of them have admitted that they're not going to try because you do have to use a set of new tires. So basically, it's wasting a set of your race tires on a qualifying to try and get points. And effectively, if you get 10 poles throughout the year out of 12 possible races, that's the equivalent of one race victory, whereas if you just get say fifth place points, you're still putting yourself in a better position to then have new tires and go out to win the race. So it might wind up being a session where, yes, we have some of the back teams trying to mm. grab back some more points in the qualifying session, but the good teams are going to be going out there and scuffing a set of tires and then parking the car. That's a good point because it does come from the allocation. Uh, we've got more sports car uh, to come tonight with the first of our Le Mans previews. That comes up straight after this programme. She'll stay on. Uh, Johnny Palmer is going to join us and we'll be talking about the two pro classes. Uh, Le Mans GTE, LMGTE uh, Pro and also the LMP1 and P1 Hybrid classes. That comes up as part of the start of our Haggerty Radio Le Mans coverage of the 88th running of the world's greatest motor race. Tim Gray, before we leave sports cars, has a sports car story. Well, yes, because uh, a team that we're not going to be talking about tonight because they're not in LMP1 or GTE <laughs> Pro uh, has announced... Well, we are going to be talking about them because you're about to talk about them now. We're not going to be talking about them in the preview that's on at 10 o'clock. All right, maybe okay. just a little bit later if you keep delaying me. Uh, <laughs> But we'll be in tomorrow night's programme, which focuses on LMP2, because they're making right. their debut in LMP2. Uh, it's uh, Nielsen Racing, and uh, they've got a new livery, and it's blue and a different kind of blue and white and black. I'm very, very spiffy it is. I uh, quite like it. Yeah, no. You're not going to confuse it with anything else. Well, no, well, true. Well, you might, but... Listener, well, you will not confuse this with anything else. Uh, well, it depends what we tell the listener, because th there's going to be well, times at the moment yes. when we're they, the only people who's, who's talking any about pictures, it. and uh, yeah. they'll just be having the pictures in their heads that are generated by you and uh, Nick and mm. uh, Bruce and Johnny. And this car's going to have Alex Capardi in it and Garrett Grist and Tony Wells. Yes, another friend of the show. Before we leave sports cars, did we find, get final results from the weekend, by the way? If, if, uh, if you haven't partaken of the, what was it, the Michelin Endurance Challenge weekend, and, uh, which was the... Virtualize now. No, no, we're not going to talk about the results, but you, you, uh, you should go back and, and listen to them and then watch them when they come up on the official YouTube. Did we get them all? Because there was a bit of a delay. About three hours ago, they all came out. Um, okay. All six of the races and all the official points from the weekend, but don't believe the official points yet because I did find a problem with one of them. So stand by for official, official points. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, so so that's pretty good. And a great weekend was had by all, I think it's fair to say, Shea, wasn't it? Oh, yes. There was a very good attitude coming out of the paddock this weekend. It was certainly a race that everyone enjoyed. Yeah, and looks like we're going to be at Mid-Ohio in... A couple of weeks' time. Uh, thank you, Shane. Thank you for the extra work earlier on. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. 
Bye. Cheers, ship. Bye bye. We might get uh, Shay back uh, in a bit. Uh, we have some more sports car news. Oh, I know she'll be back. She's just going to have a quick cup of tea before, uh, before we come back on at ten o'clock. We, yeah. we might need her for one more story in Midweek Motorsport, but we might be able to do that with Nick anyway. Uh, we do have a bit more sports car news, which uh, I'm being passed oh. by Eve right now. Right. There will be an official Radio Le Mans Haggerty Radio Le Mans sticker. Excellent for the listener. Does that that almost warrants a hooray, doesn't it? Well, I, I, I'm Ooh. just waiting for the team wear for an official hooray. I told you before we would have team wear. I've not seen it yet. You know me. And the, the good Nick, thing is, Nick that we're getting in with Gilles. William Gilles, doesn't yes. he? Yes. <laughs> exactly. That William Gilles is looking quite tight. It's 1986. I can tell you. We're going to get um, you a Haggerty Radio Le Mans I'm, I you know I am going to do that. If you do, I will wear it on air and. 50 50 people might be able to see it. <laughs> right, okay. And, Tim? And there might be t shirts, but Eve hasn't said I'm allowed to say that. Oh, okay. Right, okay. More next we week. Some, we might have some sell through t shirts next week. Ooh. So, Tomorrow we'll get shit back. Yeah, go on. On uh, Radio Le Mans, RS1, mm-hmm. at 8 pm. It's a tour radio show. Oh, what, and which, which set is it this week? It's Ben and Lewis this week. Right, and what are they talking about? They are going to be looking at the finale of the Le Mans eSports series. Right. They are going to be talking about the massive updates to iRacing that's come this month. That's yes. going to excite oh, Nick yeah. Damon a lot. Oh, I've already downloaded it, but it was, it was, the site was up again until half an hour ago, so I've got loads to play with. In fact, I'm making my LMP2 debut in about 20 minutes' time. Oh, are you? Right. Mm. Uh, and are you, uh, and are you cred- <laughs> credited up to the max now? I can't believe it. I don't know. That was my watch. Just picked up a, like a hey series. Now you give me a twenty-minute countdown. Excellent. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't got. That's my phone doing it now. <laughs> I'm being attacked by Apple. They go, you must make your debut in twenty minutes. Are they sponsoring you? Well, I don't know, but it's just very weird, that is. Yes, Corvette C8R, which was actually mentioned in the State of the Sport. Yes, uh, it was mentioned in the last week's the radio show as well. Yeah, it was. Absolutely right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, moving on. It's uh, good that Nick Damon's still with us because we haven't yet done his team-by-team uh, team guide to the Formula 1 Grand Prix of Italy. And you've got... Monza. We haven't got a lot of time, minutes. so we're going to have to yeah, rush through got... this because we've got some other things to do as well. So, All right, you've got five minutes then. A- about okay. 30 to 40 seconds per team. Williams disappointing. Okay. Uh, why are you starting with Williams? Anyway, all right, okay, fine. We're not different. Williams uh, basically were in a race where teams at the back are hoping to capitalise when the top teams drop the ball. They were out of phase and unlucky or lucky in that they didn't actually take the pit stop at the wrong time, didn't get the advantage of the pit stop, and also were dead slow because they've got a draggy car as well. All race, uh, Nicholas Satifi beat uh, George Russell just for no other reason than when the, the safety cars fell. So, yeah, not great. Uh, Alfa Romeo tactically inept. Run out well, of you say that. Well, tactically inept, a, but they did actually manage to get both. They actually made the correct call with uh, with Kimi because they brought him in early, so he was actually running I think as high as third. Um, I've got absolutely no idea um, what Antonio Giovinazzi was doing going into the pit lane. I mean, you could you could perhaps argue that 
Lewis was unlucky with that or, you know, but to come in a full 45 seconds later when no one else had, that's just ridiculous. That That is indicative of, of a lack of, of, of anyone telling him what to do. Uh, yeah. But they absolutely put Kimmy long tyres on Raikkonen, didn't they, during the red flag? So, right, that's all they had. That's all they had. That's what I said. That's they ran they out of tyres. was new, but they could have yes. put a yeah, new set on. They could have left the ones they'd had on because, because the tyres they put on uh, four laps earlier, they were intending to go to the end of the race with. Yeah. So it's a kind of a moot excuse. When they found themselves with the, uh, with the, in fairness, if you looked at them out of laps left, it was quite, it was marginal whether the softs would work with some of the cars. My only take out from that is the Alfa Romeo is a tad heavier on its tyres than some of the element cars are. But I thought Kimi drove really, really well, actually. I think, you know, he, yeah, was, me too. he, he allowed himself, he, yeah, he doesn't get silly. And he's, one thing, much as I'm not a great fan of him off the track, I think on the track he's got a lot of class. Has. Uh, well, Kevin Magnussen caused all the problems and had a rotten weekend. Um, and Roman Grosjean was actually pretty good again, which is Roman Grosjean has been better than Kevin now for the last three races or four races. Nothing to show for it because the car's rubbish. Well, the engine's rubbish and the cars are much better. Again, you know, it's very likely neither of them will be there next year. But for me, I think it was, a, it was a certainty that if one was retained, it was going to be Kevin. I'm now kind of oscillating about which one I was going to keep if I keep one. Uh, beleaguered Ferrari. <laughs> okay. At... If you've started this and said, what is the worst thing that could happen to Ferrari this weekend? Uh, you'd have gone, you'd have shot way under what it was, wouldn't you, really? Yeah. Um, you just said just... they might not qualify in the top 10. Yeah, and one of the cars might just scrape a 10. That's the worst that can happen. No. Um, Sebastian uh, Vettel, uh, you know, he's, he, he, I, I don't think he's, he's phoning it in, but I don't think there's much you could do with a car, even if you had the thing on speed dial. It's just rubbish. Um, Charles Leclerc overdrove the thing, which is the other thing you do when you're if you're in ex, if you're experienced and you know it's a dog, you just drive it and go. There's nothing else I can do. If you're inexperienced and it's a dog, you overdrive it and fall for track. So that's they'll, what happened. They'll be on the podium this weekend, though. <laughs> they will not. I don't know. They they will. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't that's bet against seconds. it, but it's not going to happen. Right, forty seconds is up. Moving on. Uh, I've got one more point about Fettel. What was the actual problem? Was it a brake duct that failed? Uh, no, he had. They 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 made a mistake on the rear uh, the rear brakes. Um, they haven't defined what it was, but that eventually led to the brake line to the rear exploding, which took which obviously took out Excellent. the braking circuit. Mm. But there was, it was. I think it was a some form of error in the way they put the brake mechanism itself together. Um, oh really? Yeah, not well, a fly-by, not a brick-by-wire thing. It was actually the uh, mechanical bit. Mechanical, it was a mechanical issue, yeah. Okay. Which, which then caught fire and then exploded the brake line, which is why he said he had no brakes. I think he probably had a smaller amount of brakes on like one wheel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moving mm-hmm. on. Uh, yeah, because it looked like it was only on one side, uh, although he didn't spin, so maybe oh, it just... was, uh, or maybe just he didn't use the brakes. He did go straight mm-hmm. on and hit all that polystyrene. Uh, went straight off, and he would have been, ge- and he would, get- and he would have been going down the gears to, to break it on the engine because yeah. he's whatever you say about Vettel, he knows what he's doing. No, no, absolutely. Racing point. Um, well, missed missed the point, didn't they? Really, mm. um, Sergio Focus. Perez was running, was running well at the start, and he was completely scuppered by a massively long pit stop at just the time you don't want it when everyone's coming in after a safety car. So I think he lost four slots, and then got stuck at the back of the DRS train, not the front, and couldn't go anywhere. Uh, and Lance Stroll shot himself in the foot when he had a perfect chance to win the race. He had as much chance as anybody. Yeah, all right, he was starting on the dirty side, but even so, dropping down to was it sixth or seventh at the end of the first. 
uh, first restart lap was was unforgivable, and yeah, he, he recovered to third, but that's a massive opportunity lost from a person, of course, who has made his career out of being rubbish at qualifying but great at first laps. Mm-hmm. He unfortunately reversed it this week, just the wrong time. A Red Bull. Albon must well, be useless again. Yeah, this wasn't a great weekend for any of the number twos, and Albon was terrible. Um, got himself involved in two accidents. I mean, the first one, he was unlucky in the first corner, then ran um, Grosjean off the road, couldn't do anything. The only thing he actually managed to do, there was only one thing he did better than anybody else, and that was hold Lewis up. He managed to hold him up for two laps rather than half a lap, but my feeling was that was actually because Lewis wasn't quite sure how to overtake at that point because he's the first car he came across. But, uh, yeah, he was terrible. And Max was, wasn't very good this weekend either. Didn't qualify particularly well, blame the car. Didn't race particularly well, blame the car. Retired because he had an accident, but blame the car. Renault. Uh, not as good as they were hoping for. They were thinking... In, the boss in... was there again. As soon as the big boss comes, it all falls apart. Same with Barcelona. Well, six, six and eighth wasn't, isn't anything like a back of Barcelona. No, that's true. They were, hoping. they were hoping for you know, a repeat of, of being the best of the rest, as they were, of course. Uh, well, near enough there, actually. Actually, in race pace, they were the best of the rest uh, in Spa. With, but, of course, it, was, it wasn't a compromise down. Was everyone was stripped right off. And the car, yeah, the car's not bad, but it just wasn't faster than the McLaren. So they, they looked... You know, it's always the one team they don't want to get beaten by um, is, their other, is the team that shares their engine. But it's, you know, it's been two good races, and there's every chance to be a third good race for them um, at Magella, which is a, a, a far slow down, lower downfall circuit. And a new name for them next season. As yes. we said, as we as said. Alpine F1. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, that's a very long conversation. We'll have perhaps another week about why you would do that. And uh, a new job title for Cyril Abitabu. Yes, and strangely, it wasn't the title I was expecting, which is Sack Adur. Uh, he appears to be promoted, which is a big surprise, really. But, he's uh, had, now head of everything, isn't he? He's head of... He's now, yeah, I think he's been... Perhaps, perhaps, it, he, perhaps they think he's in charge of poison chalices. Who knows? But, mm. uh, you know, Cyril, yeah, he's doing... I mean, obviously, I, I'm not seeing what they're seeing. So, you know, I'm, I, and therefore, I'm not the person on the multi-million contract. Therefore, I must be wrong. That's how it works. Mercedes. Uh, right, well, um, for the first, what, 26 laps, things were going really, really well for, for Lewis and going really, really badly for Valtteri. Then there were four laps in the middle where they went really, really badly for Lewis and OK for Valtteri. And then there was another 25 laps at the end, which, which went really well for Lewis and really bad for Valtteri, really. Um, uh, effectively, Hamilton was uh, brilliant, but uh, flawed. And that's the problem. Sometimes sometimes you make a mistake, make a mistake. At least he held his hands up to it. He didn't try. And then this no blame culture thing was actually inactive. You see, it's much my fault was anyone else's. In fairness, I think it was more the team's fault than his because he hasn't got much time to react. And he's not looking he's where no those points are. He's got no, he's got he's got no time to, to react there. The team should have told him the pits were closed. And clearly uh, uh, other teams knew. Otherwise, they would have come in. Well, Mercedes the themselves knew, but not the Mercedes people who were at the track, the people who were uh, in Northamptonshire. Oh, you had page four up, didn't you? Um, it was a, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It, it, no, often you really? get. Really? Is that what it was? Uh, it was three yeah, words page, on page, page four, three, and those two light panels on the seat. That is a ridiculous panel. thing. In sports car and endurance racing, you would have had a pits closed panel on yeah. the right hand side of the track coming into the parabolica. I'm not sure anyone's around. looking on the right hand side of the track either. You would. Normally, your eye line would be on the outside of the track at Parabolica, unless you were planning to come into the pits, in which case you're going to be looking down at your steering wheel because you've got to press buttons and read things on your LED display. No, you're looking, yeah. you're looking at the apex. So it's it's ju- where you ha- where you have it at Sebring, for example. You have one 
uh, on the right-hand side coming into Sunset. And then you have another one on the pit wall, right on the end of the pit wall. So yeah, that I mean, even I mean, if I you've think, committed think... and it's closed, you can change and, and pull out at that yeah, point. The thing is, I can't remember the last time the pits were closed. No, I mean, no. obviously, they're, 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 you're not allowed to do, when they run the car, the safety car through the pit, and they do as well, you can't service the car. But I can't remember the last time the pits were closed. Um, it's one of those kind of situations which, which won't happen again. But I do actually think that the FIA, if, if this is going to become an option, which it apparently was, then they need to be absolutely right, put a board up. They, they bring mm. enough stuff and just put a board up in the eye line, you know, at a point where you can still abort the entry. Correct. That, you are, you know, and this is only ever going to happen on a safety car. So people shouldn't be doing 190 miles now. So you just Correct. go, right, that's the big X on it in your eye line. Um, yeah, so it's unlucky. It's not, really, yeah, obviously unlucky, but lucky for Lewis because, you know, his major rival, uh, Max Stappen, got no points and his other rival, <laughs> Bottas, had an absolute shocker. Bottas um, is But, you know, Valtteri might, might, nice. might, well, Bottas might bounce back and be less, less. Bottas is a rival every Saturday and never on Sunday. If there was a for, if there was a Formula One World Championship for FP1, Bottas would be champion by now. Mm. And he wouldn't be that. Unless he was because Lewis would be changing his tactics so that he wasn't spending FP1 doing boring strategy stuff and was actually looking for the fastest time instead. But in in what we've had so far, he's always yeah. fastest in FP1. He gets up to speed the quickest. He just doesn't get that much quicker. Anyway, McLaren. That's about all we've got time for. <laughs> oh, McLaren. McLaren, yep, yeah. yeah, um, um, very tough with their results. They, they were certainly going, but they, they felt they were out of luck, and that they, even though they got second and fourth, they felt that without the safety cars, they would have got second and third on merit. Correct. And with a slightly better four of the dice um, in the second safety car element, they may have even got first and third, but second and fourth, two, full of points. Two more laps would have made a big difference. Yeah. He didn't get I mean, in the uh, DRS range quick enough, Sainzi. But I like, yeah. you know, I like Sainzi. I think he's an under uh, appreciated. And I think he's one of the best of the, the younger drivers. I'm not convinced he could have overtaken even with another three laps. He'd have got closer, you, but I don't think you'd have got... You don't know because Gasly was apparently was in a little bit of beginning of tyre issues. But, you know, it's, it's all with some butts because it didn't happen. Because, yeah, exactly uh, so. Is that uh, it? Pierre Gasly won. So, Alpha Tauri. Oh, yeah, Danny Kiv- the, 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 the irony of the whole reason, the reason Pierre Gasly won is because Danny Kvyat moaned about him to get him out of the way when they were on different strategies back in the, the early, the, towards the end of the first section because Danny was on hards and Pierre was on mediums and he, and he was getting in the way and he wouldn't move out of the way. So Danny said, look, oh, I want to get past Pierre. And so well, we'll rather, to have a, rather have a political situation, we'll pull Pierre in a couple of laps early, which he moaned massively about, but that's what, that's what won the race because, of course, he had actually made his proper pit stop prior to the first safety car got it all that got to the front so it was all about bad strategy luck is luck. And mm. it's all about luck and sometimes well, if you get yeah. what you wish for it turns out not to work and so poor old Danny Kivyat was sitting there going well that's not worked out very well I'm ninth which would normally be alright but, but my teammates won if uh, there'd been and, yeah. the other way round if Kvyat had uh, pitted when Gasly did and Gasly had stayed out would Kvyat mm. have won the race I think Kvyat's better than people think he is. Um, I, I don't see any particular reason why he wouldn't, to be honest. I mean, he, he, you know, he, he wasn't lacking in pace compared to Pierre. And he's never lacked in pace, in race pace. He's just not qualified as well. And when you're three or four positions down in that incredibly compact midfield, it's very hard, if you know, to overtake to make an impression. So I think he probably, I think, I think it's better than 50% chance he would have done. 
Okay. Uh, this from Tom Firth says, the closed pit signs were clearly in the race director's notes prior to every event this year, so everyone should have known the location. Although, I do hope they have some changes going forwards. Why is there not a warning on the steering wheel as there would be for yellows, etc., etc.? I think, I mean, that's very fair. I mean, no one is saying, that it, no one is saying it wasn't a mistake. No, one no, is no, saying no. no. shouldn't have got the penalty. We are saying that, right, this happened. Well, it's great. It's given us an interesting race. But we now need to make a remedial situation. It doesn't happen again to anybody, not just Lewis. It happened to Lewis because he was the first person that had seen the accident. Correct. You know, if he'd been further up the road and gone past pit lane, it wouldn't have happened. You know, it would have been perhaps somebody else maybe. Because, of course, you know, they are so programmed that when a safety car or a virtual safety car comes out near the moment you want, you have to come in, the people are on autopilot, and unfortunately, they made a mistake. But I'm not blaming the FIA. It's fine. All the all the, all the rules are fine. But yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. as always, no, no, learn I, from I it. I think you have to learn from it. All right, that's is that team by team done? Yep, uh, excellent. More and less, that's all yes. we have time for. Uh, it's not all we've got time for. No, it really is because it's uh, we've now done our two hours, and we've got another short to do. We do. So is there anything they can't list? Make uh, about, about what? About our winner, Pierre Gasly. How old oh, was he last time a Frenchman won? A Formula One race. Two. Two. No, he wasn't. He was three months old. There we go. I'll leave all the other stats as uh, John... And Macron, and, and, he, and, he did, and he did miss a, a phone call from um, President Macron. He did. Which which I thought was quite funny. How many uh, uh, was... other world leaders do you think would uh, phone someone when they won a Grand Prix? It depends. How it many depends. phone calls do you think Lewis has had? From uh, a world not leader, from, from Boris, not many. <laughs> but it's it's a bit. He'd be ringing him every week, though, wouldn't he? It's it's not like it. It would be more. It'd be more like he should ring him when he doesn't ri- win. You know, mm-hmm. just to offer condolence. That'd be a, that'd be an expensive bill, though, with international calls, mate. Ah, true. And it would, you know, and somebody would get hold of it and make a negative news story uh, mm-hmm. out of it. No, no doubts. Uh, Do we have no time doubts. for pointless press release of the week? No, absolutely not. We'll hold it for next uh, week. It'll still be yes, pointless then. Yes, excellent. <laughs> excellent. Uh, stay tuned as we have the first of our Haggerty Radio Le Mans previews. Shea Adam hopefully has uh, refreshed herself and we'll be back with uh, Johnny Palmer who joined me as we look at the pro classes. Thanks to everybody who took part tonight and join us again next week when we don't have to have a midday motorsport we're in Le Mans week there'll be some subtle changes to the website over the weekend and watch out for our schedule of Le Mans coverage and special programs and we've got some absolute belters for Mm. you next week it all kicks off on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, as it will be next week, not RS1, uh, and Midweek Motorsport, which is at the normal time. But until then, there's no time to explain. The Llama has gone off to join the Kardashians. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.